it's been a fantastic month for us here on the network, so I'd like to thank everybody who has gone to patreon.com slash duckvtv and help support us. Um, makes us feel really great. Now onto the show. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. And you're listening to the Dispatch episode for May of 2019. These are the episodes where we uh, take your prompts and questions from Patreon, uh, do a longer topic discussion, and then read your responses to the games we covered in this month. It's been a great month. Yeah. Good month. Yeah. Great month. Good mm -hmm. month. Great month. Yeah, no, uh, um, lots of lots of fun games and the Patreon is doing fantastic. So thank you at the start. Yeah, yeah, we really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, and get started. Yeah, uh, here. So uh, I've got a, a quick one, a, a quick, easy one. OK, uh, because there are a couple of people who um, have asked things along this line. Mm -hmm. um, and I just it's it's one of these things that's going to feel a little bit like a cop out, but I just want to get out there because it's the honest answer. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Kyle Cirque asked this question a couple of people asked variations of this mm -hmm. um how do you envision gaming consoles changing in the future uh this generation has seen some major shakeups to the usual console cycle with the ultra adaptable switch the rise of digital over physical games and the half step half step pro versions of consoles partway through the generation uh what do you predict the future of consoles going forward are um and there are a couple of questions that are about kind of the trajectory of the industry mm-hmm um things and uh i just i it's a again i risk this coming off like a cop-out and i appreciate asking mm -hmm. at the same time i don't know yeah you know it's, like i just I, I don't know it's worth interrogating the question because it, sometimes it's hard to tell if the question is what would you what, what would you like to see or yeah. what do you think will happen um would, and the difference between those is probably where my cynicism about the big money side of this is is you know is always at yeah, will come out. That's that's where that cynicism will come out. So I don't know if that's uh, if that would be satisfying to hear. Yeah, and there there will probably be you know streaming games will become a thing mm -hmm. um, rather than than having them on hard drives. Yeah, um, you know there will be uh, general advances in in graphics. I think the same way that like you know old games look archaic now. Mm -hmm. You know in games that look realistic now. I think that 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 will continue to shift. I think you know, that there will probably be some embarrassing and poorly considered follows to the, what the, what Nintendo did with the Switch, probably. Yeah, um, it's probably from Nintendo because like no one else does really does risks, right? Right, like that. That's just just Nintendo. So Nintendo's due for you know they they're one on one off mm -hmm. kind of failure success rate. Yeah. Um, you know, and that is uh, one of the reasons why you know this question is something that like I kind of have to throw my hands up a little bit is. I have always uh, in my second adult phase, like my first my first gaming phase, you know, as a, as a pupil gamer, mm -hmm. I uh, I was pretty invested in like the console wars and uh, read magazines about like, you know, oh, man, like this Genesis owns, but Super Nintendo is coming and that's going to be fucking cool, you know, and just like looked at screenshots and stuff. And now the way I play games like the 
uh, you know, I talk about the pie a lot, like how big the hobby is and how many games there are. Mm-hmm. I just don't engage in that way at all. No, um, no. I just, I, you know, I still play a lot of old games, a lot of games that are new to me that mm-hmm. are upwards of five years ago still look good and feel pretty good to me. You know, I'm not yeah. really up on, on new releases except outside of a couple of boutique devs mm-hmm. who, who put out things. Um, and I just don't, uh, get really excited about like system stuff like the switch, which I love. The reason why I love the switch is because it's a big handheld that anonymously feels comfortable to me. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel comfortable as a handheld to a lot of people yeah. feels great to me. And they put a lot of games on it. Yeah. But the, the function the core functionality of the switch of like popping into my TV, I haven't docked my switch since the, the like first week I had it. Right. It's just a Game Boy to me. That that is Game Boy to me. Yes, it is. Game uh, is Boy. how I feel about. It. I mean, to, to 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 expand beyond that, like I love the Switch because it is the heir apparent of Vita. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's just a handheld to me. So like kind of this this thing that is the innovative thing about the Switch doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I just it's it's more about how how I play games than than the actual industry itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of not a good person to ask about it. Yeah. You know. I'm probably a little bit more plugged in, but like even the the announcements about you know the the the, the notional uh, PlayStation Five that they put out, it's like oh yeah, more uh, more pixels, cool. Yeah, like they, they, yeah. that's that that's just expected. It's a little bit like when Apple comes out and says it is our fastest iPhone ever. Well, I fucking hope so. Yeah, yeah this is this one's a little bit slower than the last one. But hold on, <laughs> we, we got something. We're it's also thicker. Press. Yeah, yeah like we're, we we have something we're we're, we're going to call Pixel Time. <laughs> and when you go into Pixel Time, uh, you know, it's just some kind of if you hold this button and press it a little bit harder, this barely usable feature shows up. Yeah, it's a thousand dollars. Fuck yourself, or Apple. <laughs> the uh yeah so um yeah it's just it's hard prognostication is hard if i and and like there's enough runway for this that you could probably go back uh five you know maybe even 10 years on some of my earlier you know like stand under the don't tree and riddle me this type stuff like you could go back that far and hear ridiculous predictions it's just uh you know it's just not it's it's, it's, it's not what i'm into the um ridiculous that's <laughs> what that segment should be called yes. the um but like one aspect of it too is that i am always more interested in games than i am the hardware i understand mm-hmm. they drive each other yeah. but the fact that the pie is so big and that indie games are so big i anticipate a future in which at least half of my favorite games if not more are things that can be played on anything yeah basically you know like my most played games by hour are all Isaac and Gungeon and Into the Breach and small indie games that are not graphical powerhouses and mm-hmm. have no place on the PlayStation 5. Yeah. You know, none of the features of this thing, uh, you know, I do, we talked a lot about like diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's a real thing. Like we're approaching, we'll never get there. Like Rosino's yeah. paradoxing terminal velocity, mm-hmm. you know, of that stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. as we have increasingly incremental changes, yes, they can matter. Right. Like you look at like a like a current generation game that has a lot more characters on the screen that can matter. Mm-hmm. Does it matter as much as uh, like smooth scrolling did when when Mario came out? Right. Like right. that was a yeah. huge sea change that changed every aspect of a game. Mm-hmm. Now we are getting smaller games where it's like, oh, we can have a slightly more crowded scene. Mm-hmm. You know, um, does it matter? Yes. Is it does it matter as much? Not in any universe. You <laughs> right, know? Right. As we as we get closer to that doesn't matter as much and that gets smaller and smaller mm-hmm. i just get more and more unplugged of you know of those differences and just will just chase games yeah yeah 
it's um sure. it, it's it's really hard to get a nut up looking at like the potential stuff that's coming out and saying ah yes i will buy this machine for that yes yeah it just it, just, it doesn't drive my purchase anymore yeah. you know like so, I, yeah. I i really only got a ps4 when i did because of bloodborne i probably would yep. have gotten it later but and you know. and that's how why i'll get a ps5 right is like whatever from soft game comes out for it because otherwise it'll probably play on my pc my pc is rather old now but still plays everything pretty well mm -hmm. and if it doesn't i'll get a new one and there'll be one investment every five years and right you know, it's a okay. Yep. So th this is kind of a blanket address to a couple questions about predicting the future of the industry. I don't want to discourage anybody from ans asking us anything. Yeah, yeah. It's just that's kind of my my stock answer to questions of that stripe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to go here for another game question. Uh, Justin writes regarding mobile gaming, iOS in particular. Uh, do you think the regrettable state of games on that medium is one the result of the mobile touchscreen medium itself? Two, the way Apple manages the app store and promotes content, or three, the fact that iOS apps basically die if they are not updated annually or some other factor. Mm. All three of those things suck. Yeah, no. The, um, so, so one, the, 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 the touch screen makes it incredibly hard to make certain kinds of games. Mm -hmm. You know, two and easy to make other ones, you know, yeah. like, so their game, we've talked about that a lot. Like if, yeah. if a game is designed for the interface, it's always going to be a lot better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think two and three are kind of related in regards to Apple's heavy hand on the editorial side, you know, marketing stuff. That said, I do, you know, about once a week, just open up the app store on my iPad and say, what's new today? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, just a, a way to find new stuff when people that I listen to aren't talking about those things. Um, but I think that in general, the sorry state of everything can be can all be brought back to the business. You can blame it on the business, which yeah, I am the business. Ha super happy yeah. to do. <laughs> business in terms of how apple handles it and then also you know and not to be like gamers for 4776 and 77 complaining about microtransactions mm -hmm. but like that is a thing right yeah, like yeah. It, it is just, uh i don't i don't buy ios games that are free yeah um ever like obviously i know there's a tautology there mm -hmm. but like i don't i don't download mm -hmm. ios games that are free ever because right. i just don't trust them. And I know that they can be done well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll hear it, someone be like, oh, you know, it's actually good. And it, well, it really, it, it, it takes a pretty strong vouch for me to, yes. uh, for me to take that leap. Cause I just, I don't, uh, you know, there are a few of them that I do, but only when they're absolutely remarkable. And when uh, somebody damns something with faint praise of being local, that, like that, that part of it's not so bad. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, but what if I just play this other game and said, it's all about that pie being so big. Yeah. You know, like there's a curation thing with the iOS store too. Like I, I open it about once a week and flip through things and it's just, uh, there are a lot of games that I've downloaded that have held my attention for like, you know, an hour or so mm -hmm. over three sessions. Right. And that's all I got out of them. And I have this weird sense of just like, well, those are still there. Like I haven't finished my, my vegetables. Mm -hmm. I can't order more vegetables yet. <laughs> um, and there are just so many vegetables here. Yeah. Like here, here's an array of thousands and thousands and thousands of vegetables. Like. No, you know, so related to the free to play thing or the in-app purchases or whatever, twisted incentives result in non-optimal results across mm -hmm. the board. That is just a fact of life. It's a fact of business and it can make entire entire swaths, entire marketplaces just dog shit. Uh, yeah, that is really hard to wade, th wade through. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh Thank you, uh, Justin. Here's a question from Adam. 
Uh, Adam says, my wife and I have a tradition with From Software games. We spend a bunch of time in the character creation and make King Penelope, the eternal character who jumps from game to game. <laughs> with Sekiro, it has a fixed character, so we don't get to have that fun. And thus far, nothing has uh, been in the game that wouldn't have worked if the game did allow a custom character appearance uh, and fashion souls. How much value do you guys put on the ability to make custom characters in your games? Is it just a novelty or is it something that actually increases your enjoyment? Um, for for me, uh, it is somewhere between those two things. Like I wouldn't yeah. say just a novelty, but it's also not something I seek out as much as you know people who I know mm-hmm. uh, do. Like I like fashion souls. I like looking at uh, souls armor and stuff, but it's, it's never a sub game to me to make the coolest looking dude. Yeah, fa- um, fashion souls appeals to me because you, you for, not everybody here listens to Bonfire Side Chat. Fashion souls is just the aspect of playing Dark Souls or other FromSoft games where you try to find like the correct armor to put to make your character look cool as fuck. Yeah, for for me that aspect of the game works because it is another reward for exploring and finding stuff. Like mm-hmm. a new set of armor, even if I don't have the stats for it, I will put it on because it is fun to see. It's fun to see the art, and oftentimes yeah. it's really goofy because those games are goofy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I like it. I'll try stuff on mm-hmm. when I get it, and or I'll flip through the guide or flip through, uh, you know, a wiki and look at the different armor. I like it. Mm-hmm. It has never impacted my enjoyment when it's not there, um, and that's uh, you know just kind of the the truth. I understand that some of this um, can be related to uh, issues of representation and such like people want to play a version of their character that looks like them. Mm -hmm. Um, Not saying this is the right way to approach it, but I always, you know, and this might might just be the games that I kind of cut my teeth on. I tend to think of games as role-playing kind of things. Like I, you know, when I sit down to play Deus Ex, I don't think like, Hey, this is going to be, I'm going to create this JC Denton, but it doesn't have to be a Gary Butterfield. Right. Like, I'm going to play this version of this character who, in my mind, I'm role-playing them as, like, somebody who goes crazy once he finds out Yunako betrays him. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, no no survivors, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll do that kind of role-playing experience. But it doesn't, because, you know, and largely because, like, a lot of game protagonists look like me, I don't have to try to make myself mm-hmm. in in the game. Yeah. Um, and I am okay just playing Corvo or just playing JC Denton mm-hmm. or just playing uh, Sekiro. You know, I'm like, this is the story of this person and I'm controlling them and kind of making their decisions for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very easy for me to internalize that. I recognize it's not the same for everyone, but that's mm-hmm. just that's my experience with that. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's been um, it's been a journey, Gary. No, it just mm. it, my 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 really <laughs> yeah. my really kind of beautiful, <laughs> kind of beautiful. No, uh, my relationship with that aspect of games has changed over time. Um, mm-hmm. just because of, you know, a while back, like, you know, let's, let's say 2007 playing Mass Effect, I put a lot of time into designing my Shepard, you know, that I would carry forward, you know, between those games. And in general, I would put time into like Bethesda character creators and stuff. Just, I, I felt like I was getting less out of it as time has gone by. I don't know if it's because the, the fidelity got higher and higher and there were more sliders and I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like, um, putting the time into it, you know, the, the, the returns mm-hmm. were just diminished. So now what I tend to do is just pick a preset, I'll alter it a little and then go. Yeah. You know, it just, I'll pay know. attention to hair yes. more than anything. And I'll give, uh, anyone who's able to have one a beard. Yes. And that, that's basically it. Um, mm-hmm. like an exception would be like the Sims where I do try to make yeah. myself in that. And I, I will spend a lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But, um, if it's a game where the character creation is a huge part of the fun, see Saints Row 2 through 4 or um, City of Heroes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the, the, those are kind of notable exceptions uh, for me. Yeah. yeah. You want to design your design your, your superhero or what have you? Yeah, yeah. I definitely get into that mm-hmm. for sure. But it's it's not something that does a lot for me while recognizing that it does a lot for a lot of other people. And that's cool. Like, yeah. if it, I agree that Sekiro could have a custom design Mm -hmm. like you know the uh you could so there are you know i'm always gun shy about business considerations when talking about art Mm -hmm. so like yes there'd be more vo if you allowed a gender swap but i think that'd be money well spent no reason why you couldn't have you know a lady shinobi other studios uh, do it all the time (laughs) yeah people do it people do it all the time like yes it would be more expensive i don't care about that when evaluating art like it's just whether this would be better and i think it would be better um you know, so I would, I'm always happy to see it, even if I don't always engage with that, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, Aaron writes, uh, this is something you touch on briefly a lot, but how important are strict definitions of game genre and what are useful ways and reasons to sort games into genres as opposed to ones that are unhelpful? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily put, I don't, I don't care. I'm not strict about it. Yeah. No. It's it's useful in knowing like what some it's it's useful as a descriptor, um, and not necessarily as like a box to put something in. Yeah, descriptive like, versus prescriptive, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It is exclusively useful in your efficacy in describing something to somebody else, yeah. and whether that is being directly like word of mouth or whether you're reading about something and you mm-hmm. want to know what kind of thing it is. Yeah. Um. Really interestingly, I think that genre, some of those lines, one of the reasons they're blurring is because it's so easy to just see something mm-hmm. now. Like I will read about a game, uh, but if I'm actually genuinely interested in it and I'm on the fence, I'll just watch the first five minutes on YouTube mm-hmm. and see exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, rather than than uh, than find words for it. So I think that's kind of blurred that line and made it a little bit less important. Yeah. Because even you know, uh, publications and such, they'll just they'll show a preview. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have like your your giant bomb first looks and what have you. It's just here's here's what the game is. Look at it. Yeah. It's also you something know? where like a long time ago, it was just easier to tell at a glance what kind of game that was going to be. Like, yeah. Oh, there's a gun at the bottom of the screen. That's a Doom Club. Right. We don't have yep. we don't call them first person shooters because that's that we don't have that word yet. Blocks are dropping from the top. Oh, that's a that's a puzzle game. Like just, yeah. it, you know, because graphics were more limited. It, you know, things just naturally sorted. Whereas now you can look at a still picture of something and say, all right, is that play or is that a cutscene? Not like in a yeah. kill zone two, like, oh my God, the gra- the in-game graphics are just like cutscenes used to be. But just from like, no, like games tell stories differently now or games, yeah. you know, show stuff from perspectives that, you know, kind of make it hard to discern at a glance. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, Honestly, like those definitions, even in that respect, were of limited use. Right. You know, we just didn't really think of it as such. So, like, you look at something like, like an obvious example with like a shooter is that, you know, you look at, you see a gun at the bottom, that's a shooter. Uh, Doom is obviously super different uh, in, from Deus Ex as far as genre, mm-hmm. but it's also a totally different experience from playing something like Goldeneye, yeah. right? Where like the pace of play is like Doom is an arcade, like essentially a twin stick shooter, but mm-hmm. from the first person without twin sticks. Um, whereas something like Goldeneye, there's more thoughtful, like there's a little bit more exploration involved and such. The pace of play is so different that even just calling them both shooters, even though they're both shooters mm-hmm. kind of does a disservice. Like it's, it's a weird thing where genre is very useful as the absolute highest level way to look at something. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but you know, we're we're going to cover uh, into the breach soon. And it's like, well, into the breach is a strategy game. Like, yeah, like it, it is a strategy game, but it's not like Starcraft and it's not like XCOM mm-hmm. and it's not like any number of the, these things like turn-based strategy. It's not like final fantasy tactics. Mm-hmm. Like saying this is a turn-based strategy is not good enough. It only gets you so far. It. Yeah. Yep. It, it does not get you very far. So if you're like, I hate strategy games, maybe you can <laughs> use that as information. But even then it's like, well, you might like into the breach because it's not like normal strategy games. Like mm-hmm. you're not praying based on percentages to hit like things like that. Like there's a lot of, a lot of things that are different about it. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's interesting. I think that they're very limited use um, and uh, can be useful as part of a much larger kind of paragraph about something if you're trying to describe it. Yes, uh, where they become harmful is when it is used to gatekeep a particular um, example of a kind of game. Like, oh, yeah, the, 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 this game says it's X, but it's actually Y, and therefore not worth your time. Like, who gives you know, a shit? Yeah, like yeah, who 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 even begins to care? Yep. Like, it it is kind of what it is. Like, you know. Uh, if you feel like you you got a a false bill of goods, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, I got this because I picked up, uh, you know, um, No Man's Sky because I thought it was a hardcore like resource game, mm-hmm. and it's actually much more about like lonely exploration. Right. Like that's one thing, but that just means you didn't read enough because any paragraph, anyone who's writing about the game or talking about it will actually give you a more complete picture than just what it looks like. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, Buyer beware. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Ian says, I'd be curious about working editions in game development. Games criticism rarely considers the conditions of making a game, possibly because game journalism also has terrible working conditions. Uh, there was a growing movement to factor in working conditions after Red Dead Redemption 2, and a fairly recent article about Anthem shows that people do care. I'd be curious as to what you think, or if you think, that working conditions influence the evaluation of a game. Uh, which is a really fascinating question because the... Uh, you know, cyberpunk's going to come out mm-hmm. and uh, it's the first one of those that I'm actually really super interested in. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, this was apparently a, a super a real nightmare mm-hmm. um, in the thing. And that's an interesting ethical question that I don't yeah. uh, necessarily have a good answer to. The verb evaluate makes it incredibly tricky, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because cause we talk about business, con- like something I say a lot is that like business considerations are not something that you should consider when evaluating art. Mm hmm. And I usually use that to frame uh, like a game as being as being more generous mm-hmm. to to a score. Like somebody saying like, oh, you know, uh, they couldn't have or not generous, but something that can improve a game, mm-hmm. like actually improve the product. So people say you couldn't add a difficulty selector to this because of the cost. And I'm saying the cost doesn't matter. I'm just saying it would be better with this. Mm-hmm. Like it's not my job to do the budget for this company. It's their job to make the game. And it's my job to say you know, to evaluate it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this question is really interesting in that because this is much more important than, than that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about, you know, people's like lives being ruined and stuff like that. Right. But so, I can't shake like a feeling like, well, the, the artwork does stand as a thing. Like you have to talk about these things. It's very important to know about them, fight mm-hmm. for them to be better. It doesn't like, it just doesn't make the game worse though. Right, you know? right, and I think I think that you know this is something that we hit on with the the the, the Witcher, and you know I think that as a as a show and as a network we have we have tried to um, call call attention to this 
when it comes mm-hmm. up and research about a game like we kind of ate the booger when it came to talking about stalker and the, the stories about the working conditions at that studio kind of didn't surface for either of us when it's apparently kind of infamous right mm-hmm. uh we try and we but you know I, at least i and i know you want to call attention to this because it is worth at least mentioning it so people understand and you know kind of consider it more if you mention it enough people will start um kind of thinking about it um mm-hmm. but the end of the at the end of the evaluation it's like okay this is good was it worth those people and yeah. you know like well, the, and however the many lives are ruined right like the the answer to that question the reason why that's hard to talk about is the answer is always no right like my entertainment value exactly. is not more important than anyone's livelihood mm-hmm. ever yeah. you know period and it's just the hard thing is once you kind of recognize that as a truth mm-hmm you know, you run into there's no ethical consumption, you know, kind of kind of thing. Like there are degrees, of course, but everything you partake in what, you know, somebody was exploited in some way, mm-hmm. most likely, yeah. you know, if not everything, at least one thing mm-hmm. you partake in, somebody was treated like shit to make it yeah, um, either now or historically. So there's a level of like cognitive dissonance that is necessary to be a media consumer in the world mm-hmm. uh, for that. For me, I think when it comes to what we do and evaluating games, the important thing is, and like like you said, we missed this on Stalker just because we didn't read the right things, which is definitely our fault. I'm not shunting this. Mm-hmm. Part of it, though, is that it has not been as surfaced, right? Like this is a, a kind of a, a topic that I'm seeing a lot more about now than I ever did in my life. Yeah, and I think that um, that, that, that is the result of writers and of um, workers and people kind of... It's basically constant. Patrick Klepek. It's basically... Like just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically Patrick Klepek. So, like, not to discount anybody else who's doing it, but, but no, that man no. is doing really great work on this specific just, thing, you know, consistently. I, I just, I, I recall, like, back when you were, you know, back in the early 2000s, reading about Electronic Arts Widows, right? And mm-hmm. reading about those, reading about those lawsuits and, you know, it was kind of in the press. It was maybe even, you know, like, mocked a little bit or wasn't kind of described in a particularly helpful way. Um, since then, it feels like, it feels like the barrier to the the barrier to consideration for this is getting weaker in mm-hmm. terms of like these stories feel more present when a game is released um and it feels like this topic is easier to bring up without an awful lot of onboarding necessary for the discussion if yeah it, it feels like is it is it is just something that the, there are people who are working hard to keep this to keep this in the news and kind of keep it in the discussion and i think that that is only good and I think that there are also like you see something like, oh, gosh, Slime Rancher, you know, part of the, like like something that I think is really cool about that is like they just said, like, yeah, you know, like we've we've made X amount of money on this game and nobody had like we never did crunch. Yeah, everyone right? worked 40 hour weeks the entire time. Yeah. And that was a value. Yeah. You know, and, and I- then you look at something like um, uh, Scott Benson's like game collective they're making for their next game where they're mm-hmm. like no bosses. Right. Like everybody there is just. You know, and they're experimenting with it, and it's like it's going to work because it's not like the follow up tonight in the woods is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of leading by example is really useful. Not that you should ignore or let no no <laughs> hook for things that are awful, but like it's an important part of the discussion. Yeah, you know, is this kind of like here are the alternatives to it? Mm-hmm. Like the assumption that you have to work your your force to death to make a game uh, profitable is was designed initially to mm-hmm. exploit people, right? Yep. Like. Anytime, you know, 
you have this is the only way things can be is this shitty way. Mm-hmm. That was something that was designed to fuck you over, right. designed to fuck people over. Like, yeah. hey, guess what? If you'd uh, hire more people, you wouldn't have to have them work 90 hours weeks. And mm-hmm. the way you hire more people is the CEO gets less money. Yep. Uh, done and done. Yep. Um, you know, the, the people, if they were not making wages that are unimaginable, mm-hmm. uh, then this problem would be solved. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know. So in, in terms of, I guess, evaluation of the game, I just think it's something that always deserves to be part of the conversation and mm-hmm. mentioned, yeah. even if it does not reflect on the game. And that evaluation is separate from an individual's choice to buy it. Um, yes. everybody draws their own line. Everyone makes their own compromises. Yep. You can like, decide what you're going to reward. Yep. And, and decide what you're going to reluctantly reward, mm-hmm. right? Like something like cyberpunk, like those dudes are douchebags. Like, I don't like the way that company is run. I'm probably going to play that game. Mm-hmm. It's just a compromise I'm choosing to make. I'm doing it with my eyes open and stuff. I know that it's, you know, the, it's, it's a ethically, uh, uh, flawed thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I just know that going in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know? speaking, speaking to our own project here, um, I am not interested in kind of having an inbuilt rebuttal to anything positive we say about cyberpunk, uh, be rebutted with, but it, but, but people were hurt making it. Yeah. Like, it's, they're two separate discussions. Yeah. Like the quality of the art itself is, is different. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just is different. I'm not saying that they, they have to be untied in your head, mm-hmm. you know, like you can say, so you look at something like, and this kind of butts up against the other social stuff. Right. So like mm-hmm. you can say, uh, and be like, Hey, I can't watch Andy hall because that dude's a fucking creep. Right. And it grosses me out. The experience of watching it makes me feel gross. You can, that's great. It makes me feel gross too. Mm-hmm. You can say, I don't want to give that guy money because supporting this monster feels awful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I won't, I haven't seen a, a Woody Allen movie since I found out about, uh, all of his horse shit. Right. Right. Um, I'm with you. It doesn't make Annie hall a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't actually change the art. So like when people say you have to separate the art from the artist, they're wrong. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. You can have them together, but it is possible to, to evaluate art outside of that stuff. Whether it's like you should is a decision that like, there's a lot of gray area on. You get mm-hmm. to make that decision. People get to make that decision, whether you should do it, mm-hmm. but it is, it is possible to do it. Yeah. You know, like before I knew any of that stuff, I liked Andy Hall. Like I liked that movie a whole lot. I watched yeah. it a bunch of times and then I found out about the the sex monster that made it. And now I don't watch it anymore because it feels grosser to me. Mm-hmm. Is that joy that I took in watching it before? Is that somehow false? Like, do I have to turn that that those laughs into the bursar? <laughs> you know, no, like, I, you know, I don't yeah. like that was actually just a thing that that sprung from the art. It was produced by the art. Mm hmm. You know, so I just think it's a more ethical, it's a more interesting ethical question than a lot of people give it credit for as a thing. It is not as simple as just like cancel the bad, celebrate the good. Like it can yeah. be if that's, that's your thing, but it, that's not the only approach that I think is valid Yeah, yeah. to it. And I say that as somebody who is not watching Woody Allen movies, who's not watching Louis CK specials, who's, you know, uh, so, somewhat, somewhat sensitive on the cancel button on this stuff. Like there's lots mm-hmm. of people who I'm just like, this is gross. I'm not going to fucking engage with it. Yeah. You know? Yep. So no, I'm I'm standing over here. Chinatown's still one of my favorite movies. Yeah. You know, and it's like you, you can it doesn't make it a bad movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes it it makes the decision whether to to uh promote it or buy it or doing those things a little bit more fraught. Mm-hmm. But Chinatown isn't magically a bad movie because it was made by a shitty person. Yeah, yeah. You know? So 
you know. And the same way, like Cyberpunk might is like I have almost more than anything else coming out in the future, have more faith that it is going to be an excellent video game. Yeah, yeah. It's just up to people who talk about that video game to acknowledge and shame. Like, mm-hmm. and th- this is like a practical thing. Like this is quite literally, you know, people who are against this stuff who don't want anyone to talk about it at all are be like, Oh, you're just trying to shame people. Yeah. They're trying to fucking shame people. Yeah. Like they're working their They're workers like shit. <laughs> they're treating people like horse shit. Right. Like you should be shamed for that. We live in a society assholes. Like yeah. we don't, we're better than that. We can do better than that. Um, it is everyone's job to mention that and have it be a thing, but they're just unrelated axes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, um, yeah. evaluate, but evaluate in context. Yeah. yeah. God, that context is super fucking important. Yeah. So that would be, be my answer to that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean like it's, it's not, uh, this game gets one less letter grade because the developers were awful. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about that too. I've read like, um, some things from people who worked on games where it's like, uh, cause like a lot of my Twitter timeline is, is games, Twitter or, or game makers. Mm-hmm. And where they're just like, you know, I worked on this game. I don't want the game to be review bombed. Like, yes, they treated me like shit. I still mm-hmm. put my heart and soul into it. Right. Right. You know, it doesn't, you catch a lot of people in the crossfire when you're like this, you know, boycott boycotts are great. Don't buy the things you feel uncomfortable buying, mm-hmm. but being like this, this product is shit Yeah. because yeah. the, the people who way, way up at the top who make those decisions are unethical. Right. Like, you know, it just, it takes, everything is so fucking complicated. It takes a lot of people to make the thing. Yeah. You know? So we have like, without naming, like we have, there's a, a somebody who listens to us who uh, worked on, uh, who works on a company that had a major controversy about this, yeah, yeah. you know? And like that person's not unproud of what they did, mm-hmm. you know, even though like a lot of those stories are true. Right. You know? So I don't know. Yeah. Ethics. <laughs> they're they're really hard. Check them out. Good. <laughs> if you want to know more about ethics, go to your local library. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So, and we're not telling anybody what to be. That's just my. Mm-hmm. That's just our stance on it. My stance yeah. on it. So. Yeah. Oh. Um. We've been on game questions for a while. Do we want to? Go? I was gonna say yeah. Let's let's move on. Yeah. Um. Life questions. How about a few of these? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Lewis says, uh, some just fun in what are some terrible personal flaws or quirks that you try your best to fix or acknowledge, but won't quite just fuck off. For example, I find that almost impossible to text people back, even though I know how easy it is and how shitty it can make people feel. I just find it so hard. So what about you? Um, that's um, one. <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm good at that stuff. Yeah. That, that's a personal strength. <laughs> Um, I pee on the entire toilet seat every time I pee. I do a full circle. <laughs> Good job, Dennis Leary. <laughs> yeah, I do. Is that a Dennis Leary? Leary it's a lyric in his song. I'm an asshole. I use public toilets and I piss on the seat. I walk around in the oh. summertime saying, "How about this heat?" Okay, yeah, because <laughs> he's an asshole. Yeah, babala or whatever he, that dude says. Ying a ding, babala. Um, I, I pee on the whole thing is the difference for me. So if I ever mm. find one of those toilet seats that's just shaped like a U, I don't pee there. Mm. I go to find a toilet where it's the entire ring and then I hit all of it. Do you get the do, do you get the bottom too? Like do you so do, you, do so so you so oh, you yeah. go around, you crimp, you lift, and then you hit the bottom. Yep. And okay. actually, there, here's a little secret. Handle. <laughs> um, so the because uh, the thing about pee when uh, as, as a male is that I can put it wherever I like. Yeah. You know, so it's not, it's very easy to aim point and shoot and, yeah. uh, yeah, point and shoot. It's, it's a, it's a first person, first person. Scooter. <laughs> the, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I sleep too much. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, all all of mine are like thing like that I can think of immediately are are similar to that. So yeah. I'm, I've actually been getting. It's very hard for me to uh, get in the habit of exercise. Like I've been in the over the last like three or four weeks, I've been uh, making a conscious effort to improve my diet, and I've mm-hmm. done actually kind of wonders with it. Hmm. But getting in the habit of regular exercise is very difficult for me because I don't think it's fun. Yeah. Um. No matter what I do, and I've tried a lot of different things, they always feel like horrible chores that I just wish were over. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, that's something I would love to to fix. Like make that fun for myself. Uh, that's very difficult. And then, um, kind of, kind of, uh, socially, um, I don't know. I've got a couple like bad habits for yeah. things. Um, now that I'm an adult, I'm late mm. a lot more often. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I didn't used to be, but now it's like, I don't know. I, I I'm late. No, yeah. uh, that's not great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, uh, w- w- whatever makes you personally angry about me. Yeah. That's the, just, yeah. And also you capitulate too much. I'd say that about you. The, um, here's here's my big one. And actually this, I'm, I knew that there was something on the edge of my consciousness. I, that is a good answer to this. And I was trying to think of it. I just thought of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, and I've been way better about this, but I need to get offline more. Oh yeah. Um, I'm like way too online. It's very hard for me to, uh, let people be wrong online like i will mm-hmm. get irritated when i see uh somebody being wrong online um i will uh and it will like legitimately bother me and that's also something that's been like a goal for years of mine to stop that and mm-hmm. like i've been making progress with it i deleted that uh that curious cat like I've, mm-hmm. I've been working on it um but the uh kind of opening my being online opening myself up to kind of drive by nonsense mm-hmm from, from people and everything. Whereas in fact, instead of that, I could be offline with my friends. Yeah. You know, having, uh, <laughs> you know, not that parasocial relationships aren't real, not that like online relationships aren't real or anything, mm-hmm. but if I'm not, uh, getting a lot of joy out of whatever that thing is, why am I doing it yeah. when it's not additive nor fun? Yeah. For, uh, for anybody and, involved. Totally. Like the people, you know, the, the, the people, and we don't, you know, we, I think that we sometimes get the illusion that we're constantly bombarded by, by that kind of stuff. And we're really not, mm-hmm. it's just, um, it feels like it is because we're, we're sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, like, you know, if somebody's going to be like, Hey, I'm mad that you guys charge money for the podcast. Now here's a really mean review or whatever mm-hmm. on, on iTunes. I'm going to leave. Um, I don't need to read that stuff. And I've been no. making, you know, pains to like ignore that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I was talking to my girlfriend about it and she's like, well, what's the, what do you get from that? What do you get from reading it? I'm like, well, when they're bad, I feel bad. And when they're good, I feel nothing, <laughs> right. uh, which is which it's like a really simple kind of equation way to say like, Hey, stop that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's something that I'm in actively in the process of, but has been a real journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just it falls under like a, it's a certain, certain flavor or under the, under the umbrella of like boundary setting almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very similar honest answer for me that isn't you know trivial or a joke i'm indecisive and that is the biggest driver of my procrastination mm. you know not like you know cheaty and agonia levels but uh yeah that, that that is that is definitely a weakness that i wish i wish i could shake but i can't quite decide on the right way to do it mm. yeah <laughs> yeah yep tricky tricky stuff <laughs> also also i try too hard to make people like me but that, that's a that's a that's a hard one no yeah. that's rough stuff no yeah. Um, yeah, uh, just to do a couple, like we only have a couple life questions, but just to mm-hmm. do them in pairs. Yeah. Uh, Shane McGray says, uh, what are your opinions on beer? 
Here in New England, we're rich with craft breweries, but I'm not sure what your areas are like. Do you have favorite styles? What do you like, dislike about certain styles? Have you ever had a desire to brew your own? I like beer. I'm I'm pro beer. Mm-hmm. Beer's good. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, I was about to say we are both in areas that are really good for craft beer, but I think that's just true across the country now. It's yeah, it's, it's a weird miracle. Yeah. Like I was in my hometown and you could buy like decent craft beer in the gas stations and Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like I'm between, so Cleveland not as it, it has a little bit of this. Cincinnati is a really big beer town. Like the good Cincinnati beers are distributed up here where I live now. Um, mm-hmm. and Columbus's brewery scene is, is, is getting good, uh, as well. Um, so yeah, like it just, our, our areas give us ready, ready access to several different varieties. As far as styles, this is going to sound like a cop out. I'm, I'm literally omnivorous. I'll try anything as regards beers once, unless it is something that has like animal in it. At one mm. point I, I, I picked up a beer. The Muppet? And... <laughs> the what? The, the animal that Muppet, you yes. know, I like that. No, don't, do, do not dry hop with animal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no. no. I, 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 only, <laughs> I only say that to disqualify at one, at one point back. But do get yourself a nice cerveza with Anna Manuel. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yes, of course. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, at one point back uh, when I was working at that studio and I was like, oh, we're going to provide beer because we're hip. Um, I, saw, I saw something. I was like, it's called an oyster stout. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And I drank it. And I was like, oh, this tastes kind of weird. And then I read the cocktail. <laughs> I, I read the <laughs> I read the uh, uh, label. And I was like, made with real oysters. And I just went and spat it out. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> Out of control beer people. Yeah. So, um, so like not literally anything, but like if there is a broad style of beer, I, I've probably tasted it and enjoyed it. <laughs> um, I really like beer. Part of my, uh, my recent like change in diet has been about trying to see if I can solve some of my gut mysteries, mm-hmm. the worst Hardy boys novel. <laughs> and the, um, one of the things I've done is stop drinking beer for mm-hmm. that. And, uh, the other day at the satanic film festival, I had a beer and it definitely like upset my gut stuff. Mm. So I think that I either maybe have some kind of like gluten sensitivity or just beer to sling to me, or it's a mysterious third thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't had beer in a while. It, it kind of sucks because both the guys I'm in a band with are big beer connoisseurs. They bring interesting beers to practice. I have been, uh, you know, giving them up, yeah. which is a bummer. But in my beer times, um, I'm also um, the same thing as you, where I like all kinds of beers. The one kind of beer I don't really like is the old fashioned kind of like, we will hot fuck you IPAs. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's a good thing you live in Portland. Well, it's gotten way better now. <laughs> okay. So like for a long time, Portland, the tap list were like 80%, you know, the highest IBU IPAs that you could find. Yeah. Like yeah. everything was like the challenge nader, you know, just like how, yeah, how yeah. bitter and nasty can we make this shit? Stunt beers. And, Yep. Stunt beers. And now uh, IPAs are like, hey, these are hazy and fruity and taste good. Yeah, yeah. And everyone still loves them. Like, you didn't have to make this taste like bitter bullshit mm-hmm. for people to like it, guys. Like, yeah. it could, it, you could have just made good tasting drinks yeah. and then people would still like it. Instead, what you've done is you've turned an entire generation off to hops. It, totally. And yeah. they taste good if you don't turn them into a challenge thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if every – oh, I don't like hot sauce because I've only had, like, 
the one with the cartoon hillbilly having diarrhea on the label. <laughs> you know, like, I don't like hot sauce because it's all that cartoon diarrhea. And it's like, well, no, you know, like a, a good hot sauce is great. You mm-hmm. like Scoville units. You just don't want that many. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what I, I feel about IBU. So mm-hmm. I really like uh, like a hazy or fruity IPA. Um, I really like like a German dark beer, yeah. like a, a German dark beer with like weird shit like cocoa nibs yeah. and stuff. And it is my favorite. Uh, my favorite all beer of all time is, is like a the the Barack Dunkel at a uh, Stamtitch mm. in uh, in Portland is my all time favorite beer. Yeah, no uh, German German beer is wonderful. Like a like, uh, like a Spot and Doppelbach um, yeah. or a Dunkel. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, mm. oh yeah. Love a Dunkel. That's a good shit. Yeah, yep. and it's just uh, you know, but I like I like all kinds of stuff. I like a sour. I like a freem. I mm-hmm. like a uh, any of that stuff. It's, Ghost, it's all, ghosts it's all are good. good. Gosas are really good. Yeah. yeah I like Gosas a lot. Um, one thing when I was younger is I used to have like a taste for shitty American beer as kind of like a weird affectation mm-hmm. kind of thing. And because of economics and now at the times I do have those, those just make me feel full and gassy yeah. for no, to no end, mm-hmm. you know, so not, not worth it. Yeah. It just, it, 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 like, I, I look at those and I think, is that worth the calories? Yeah. yeah. And the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um do some media questions and then uh, some lightning round and then the topic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's do that. You asked that question, right? Yep. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, media question uh, from Gary, who says, who are your favorite members? Gary of the Marshall. Gary Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Who are your favorite members of the Wu-Tang Clan? Alternatively, if this question is a bit personal, uh, if you could have any guest of an episode, uh, any of them guest on an episode of Bonfire Side Chat, which member of the Wu-Tang Clan would you like it to be? Um, ODB is my favorite Wu-Tang Clan. Mm. Uh, I'm an Inspector Deck man. I like his flow. I like his flow the best. It's a great, it's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> so would would you would that also be the one you'd want to have on on a, a guest on Bonfire Side Chat? No, ODB. Um, there was a um i think i think uh method man would probably be good on uh yeah, yeah on on bonfire side chat I, th- I think he he probably has the most uh probably has, has the most insight on With games the strategy yeah how about uh nulando ghostface killer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i don't know um i <laughs> i don't care i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um yeah. anyway uh yeah um i i, I think question. i think odb would be would be the most entertaining i think method man would be the most insightful i i think that that's that's probably pretty pretty insightful i didn't i forgot that we had show questions too let's just do two medias then do two shows and okay. kind of move on uh quick um this one is uh will be fast um matt says i've always wondered if you two have ever heard of or watched the 90s tv show reboot it's weird and silly and kind of awesome about video games i never heard you two mention it and it seems like it's the kind of thing that it would be fun to goof on it's early computer animation so it looks really goofy but eventually goes to some weird places about alien parasites who live in the dark web mm-hmm. uh i watched reboot when i was when i was a kid it was on the afternoon block of toonami mm-hmm. um, on cartoon network so it ran kind of alongside um uh, like Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. I was into it. I've looked at episodes recently and it's the, the, the CGI is distractingly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the turn that the story takes to get dark is fucking inexplicable given the first season. <laughs> I, uh, I have not as a kid, I hated that show. Like I was a little too old for when it popped up mm-hmm. and I have always resisted computer graphics yeah. as like a thing like that. Like beast wars looks really bad to me. Yeah um the uh so i didn't didn't really stick with it but i'm familiar with it a little bit and it'd be a good adaptation decay mm-hmm. to do a couple episodes i yeah. think of that um i i, I, for, I don't know if he's done it yet but uh you know who loves reboot 
Uh, no. Evan Thorne. He's, he's been talking oh. about doing a show about it forever. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, uh, for, for me, I didn't, I don't, I didn't, based on what I saw of it when I was younger, I don't really get it. Mm-hmm. But I was also, haven't revisited it as an adult. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah, just didn't hit me. But I am familiar with the reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. Show questions. Show uh, questions. Um, let's see here. That was you. I'll do mm-hmm. one. Um, I'm going to summarize this one real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but Greg, uh, Greg writes, um, you know, kind of starts with an anecdote about, uh, doing a draft episode for their, for his podcast, the SNES podcast, um, one, uh, 100th, 100th episode. We should do a draft Gary. I think that'd be fun. I think, yeah. That would describe the description of that sounded really fun. Yes. Um, uh, but during that, they got some flack for having a panel that was all a bunch of white dudes. Um, so goes on to say, uh, you know, I think this is a problem with podcasts in general, but it's more widespread here in gaming podcasts. What do you think we can do to encourage people from different backgrounds to do their own gaming podcasts and be more accepting of them? Yeah, this is this is tough because I, I think that like this is where we, it, where we the, fall down on it. So it makes us really hard to be good messengers for it. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, you know, and it, it's a thing where like um, the end goal of that is obviously something that uh, we're in favor of yeah, and that we want. But it can't just be like, hey, you like you can just be like, hey, you should start a podcast mm-hmm. and kind of say it that. But making it there's a line there, because if you try to make it your mission mm-hmm. or, or whatever, do that. I think that it's it it can come off as a little like invasive and weird yeah. to do so. I think just by making like a really welcoming space uh, as best you can yeah. is uh, is kind of the, the the best thing you can do. And when you when you know people, if you if you have friends who uh who are involved in games and stuff like that. And you're doing a podcast thing, uh, try to involve them, mm-hmm. you know, and see, and at least ask, like, you can't be held responsible. If, if you have a couple lady friends, you're like, Hey, I'm starting a game podcast. Do I do it? And they say, no, right. You know, but you asked, and that's what you can do to kind of make it more encouraging, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Um, and then if you, if, it, if it's, if it's like a, a platform thing, and this is something that like, admittedly, like we could do better. Mm-hmm. With, right. Like, um, you know, the, as the network's grown, the network is mostly dudes. Yes. Um, that's wasn't by design. You know, it just happened to be who we knew. Yeah. And, and when that, we were like, starting that, doing it, that, 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 that is small business dot text. Right. And it is how it is how lack of diversity happens, which is you start a company with your friends, your friends might look like you and your friends might have friends that look like them and also look like you, you know, mm-hmm. on and down the line. Right. We made, we, we made shows with people who we, you know, were already tight with and then boom. Yeah just all of a sudden right and now we now we're in a position where we're bigger we're also i think that once you get to that position where it is time to like start hiring and yeah. stuff like it is definitely time to to look into that and like mm-hmm. if we get if the patreon continues to grow and we get to the point where we're like hiring it's definitely something we'll keep in mind mm-hmm. right like when we're looking to bring people on yeah um right now it may not look like it but the reality of, of the business is as much as the patreon has blown up like we redesigned it to blow up to kind of meet a standard of living for ourselves, not to get rich. Right. So like, it's not like, Oh, like you guys are doing great. It's time to start hiring like four interns. (laughs) Like, no, you know, we, we actually can't, that would, that would erase any of our, like being able to reasonably afford everything that we have with this. So, but it is something that we're thinking about. So I think if you have a position of power where you can actually like pay people and bring people in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, consider those things. Yeah. Um, and if you, uh, are starting a thing 
um, consider that as well. Yeah. Uh, if you're able to, and that's about what you can do. Mm -hmm. Additionally, you know, if you are in a position to bring guests on, you know, from different background mm -hmm. backgrounds and things like that, making space uh, for that and also helping to lift other people up or signal boost them is a positive thing if you're in a position to do that. Yeah. yeah. One of the things about Gray's question is he says, like, you know, he just doesn't know a lot of people yeah. who do that. And that's something that, like, I'm kind of sympathetic to. Right? It's hard. Like, <laughs> like, it, it can be difficult. And it's not, you know, I have, a, you know, in real life, in my real life, I have a very diverse group of friends. Mm -hmm. When you start making that pool smaller and smaller, mm -hmm. right? Like, I have a diverse group of friends. A smaller subset of that are my friends who like games. A smaller subset of that are my friends who have the time and inclination to podcast. Right. And once that circle gets small enough, it is possible that what's left is Brayton Cameron, Nick Glauber, and Will Hughes. Right. Right. Um, which is basically what happened. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, uh, when I did, one of the things I liked about doing Heartbeat City was like being able to have like some people on who were my friends who were not necessarily from the background because the topic was so much broader. Yeah. You know, like there, there's momentum of games being a boys club that we're still shaking off. Like it was games of girls have always been interested in games, but it is something that in my just experience, like growing up, I knew a lot more men who were into games mm -hmm. than, than I knew ladies who were into games. Um, that's something that is changing. I think it's, but it's changing slowly. No. Yeah. And it is a, a weird Ouroboros where like the job of changing that will come from kind of diversifying that pool as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so the more work you can do in that, as far as making acceptable spaces and encouraging people, the less likely that'll be in the future as well. Yeah. But it's not something that can change overnight. And if you don't, Hey, I don't know anybody. Like I want to do this thing with my friends. That's the vibe I'm going for. That's the chemistry. I don't know. Like right now I, I know two people want to do a podcast. They're both dudes. No. You know, does that mean you shouldn't do a thing? I don't know. Like I think everybody gets to express themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a uh, complicated, I think you can just kind of do your best to, to make, to make space. Yeah. You know? Yep. So um yeah uh david says uh are you guys thinking about doing any more music-based content content <laughs> is uh, in letters uh, i really love file underwater and the episode of adaptation decay about buckner and garcia uh, i would love to hear more discussion also who gets the most pets greta or pocket that should not be a contest that should not be a contest but it is and it's probably <laughs> pocket uh because i love him more um, <laughs> no <laughs> i'm just i just greta likes being pet more so yes. i think greta likes belly rubs and stuff and pocket comes to you like he's a little bit more yeah, kind of offish. Yeah. No, I think I think that's probably that's probably accurate. But I think that both of us, what what's important is when there is an opportunity for a pet, we take it. Yep, and we'll eventually do a crossover pet. And <laughs> we're gonna do pet swap. We're gonna do, we're gonna do a week <laughs> You're you're training a little pot. You're a little pocket sized assassin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a he's a sleeper sleeper agent. Oh. Yeah. Um, as far as music content, um, you know, when File Underwater was winding down, uh, kind of a discussion was like, oh, are you going to replace this with something else? REM was just the perfect intersection, of the Venn diagram of both of our tastes, you know, taste mm -hmm. and knowledge and stuff like that. I like talking about music, though. It just it, yeah. it, it just has to manifest in other and other already existing shows. Yeah, me me too. I think that uh, for in a general sense, I currently have a one in one out policy on shows. Yeah. Um. So like, if another if a show runs its course, I would definitely consider mm -hmm. doing such a thing. And there are other artists I would love to do an album by album, uh, kind of thing by like obvious choices for me are like David Bowie and Guided by Voices. Mm -hmm. The Guided by Voices one would last ten years after I'm dead because <laughs> he puts out more albums than I would get through. Right. Um. But the uh, 
it just I don't want to do any more shows right now because I'm pretty full up. Yep. So. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to do a couple lightning rounds or do you want to move right on to the topic? Uh, let's do some lightning rounds. <clears throat> okay. Let's do. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Nick writes, are you guys fans of barbecue, specifically the low and slow American kind? I'd love to hear your favorite spots and dishes. Have you had any experiences cooking this type of cuisine for yourselves? Uh, we do like barbecue. Love it. When we were yeah. in uh, Milwaukee, we had barbecue as mm -hmm. our kind of like post-show dinner. And when we were in Austin. Oh, yeah. I think we've, we generally had barbecue when we go out. Um, mm -hmm. I love barbecue. It's one of my favorite genres of food. Yeah. Um, um, it's great. Do you have a favorite spot? Um, in Portland, I love Padna's. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Padna's and I love Poshines, which is Poshines is a soul food restaurant, not necessarily just barbecue, but they have really we, great barbecue. We had a uh, breakfast there, didn't we, at Poshines? Yeah. yeah. Back That's when good. I used to live in that area, neighborhood. Yeah. Um, in Cincinnati, Eli's is my favorite. It's down by the river. It's a small place. You end up eating outside. Uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, they make some fantastic, some fantastic pulled pork. Yeah. 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 So, um, and I have made, uh, pulled pork and pulled chicken. That's the only barbecue I've made, but I've made mm -hmm. it in my house, yeah. uh, in my instant pot. I have not made it out on a grill because I live in a series of successively smaller apartments. <laughs> um, every time I move into an apartment, it gets a little bit smaller. It's like a reverse Silent Hill four. <laughs> and the, um, uh, so I never, I've never had room for a grill. Mm -hmm. So, um, have you ever made barbecue? No. I mean, so like, I mean, same as you, uh, been, you know, I've done, um, you know, stuff in the instant pot or, or, you know, crock pot or whatever. I don't know if that technically counts. Um, my brother, he has a, uh, he has a smoker mm -hmm. and he uses that. So I've, uh, I, I've considered, uh, uh, borrowing the smoker to make my own stuff, but, um, you're a homeowner now, so you could definitely do such. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a whole comedy of errors about buying a grill this weekend. Uh, it turns out, uh, some places when they sell you a grill, it's already assembled and it will not fit into your Kia soul. Oh, wow. La grill. <laughs> um, uh, JC says if a wedding is not open bar, should you even bother going? Yes. yes. Yeah. Be there for your friends. It's their special yeah. day. Yeah. Weddings are great. If you don't like them now, you'll eventually grow to like them. Probably. Yeah. That's, or at least that's what happened with me. I didn't like them and now I love them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I get a uh, real misty and, and romantic feeling about weddings. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see here. Uh, more music stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. let's see here. Philip writes dead Kennedys or the dead milkmen or both. Um, um dead Kennedys. I'm a dead Kennedys guy too. Dead milkmen are good, yep. but I'm a more dead Kennedys guy. Yep. Um, even though neither of which is in like my, you know, frequent rotation. Right. Right. I, I, I appreciate the dead Kennedys, uh, uh, uh juvenile aesthetic more. Mm -hmm. The milkmen yeah. are extremely juvenile. Yeah. They're just very different kinds of juvenile. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Craig says, uh, you guys talk about REM a lot. Uh, what do you guys think about the replacements? Um, I, like I love the replacements. Yeah. Tim is one of my all-time favorite albums. That's great. Um, um, I came to them late. I actually, I didn't learn about the replacements until I played Rock Band 2 um, and mm -hmm. fell in love with the song Alex Chilton. So mm -hmm. my catalog does not run as deep, but uh, they uh, I, I put them on Spotify. And I have not kind of like run across an album full of skippers yet. So. Poor, poor, uh, poor Alex Chilton, mm -hmm. poor, poor box tops, <laughs> poor, poor big star. Whenever, uh, you know, people just like get really into, uh, the replacements through a song that's a tribute to, uh, to, to big star. So. I also listen to big star. <laughs> yeah. Big star is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, zone says, how do you feel about from make, uh, making an entire game based on whip fest? I'm talking about the grappling. I wish that there was more whipping. Me too. Like I, I, I'm deep in my second playthrough of Sekiro. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the whip stuff is very fun, but it kind of weirdly is my uh, my fears about it that it was going to be very limited mm-hmm. by making it traversal. It makes the traversal fun, but it's not uh, expressive. Like it, it doesn't play into the combat and stuff in the way that maybe I would want. Yeah. Um, you know, like every once in a while, you can get to a different vantage point mm-hmm. to to approach a situation from a different angle. But you could also get there by climbing or just get yeah. there by jumping usually. Um, and it doesn't play into the combat very much. Like there's only a couple uh, combat arts. Yeah. There are a couple of skills that, that fit with the grappling hook. Mm-hmm. And only a couple of bosses. Only, you know, it, it is it is not as frequent as I would like for as prominent as the grappling hook is uh, yeah. with boss or mini boss combat. Yeah, same, same here. Um, which people would you never want to find out are actually mean or bad? Um, Mike Mills is the obvious answer. I'm yeah, sure we yeah. both have. Yep. Um, <laughs> That'd be the one. Yeah. Oh, do not want Mike Mills to turn out bad. Right. Um, yeah. Do you want to move on to our topic? Yes. Let's do that. <clears throat> okay. Um, so this is a new one. We we're going to, I guess we're definitely gonna have to do like a dispatch to kind of get through some of these topics because yeah. we have a bunch of them that are kind of piling up, but we'll do a special, if you're a patron, we'll do a special episode that's just like tackling like two of these topic mm-hmm. things. So they don't pile up too much. Yeah. Nope. Um, but this was just the one that happened to, uh, to jump out to us mm-hmm. this, uh, this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. let's see here. So, uh, Orky bits writes, uh, possible topic idea, romance and video games. Why does it seem like so few video games get it right? Yeah. Um, and then there's also uh, a little tag here that's about uh, Abject Suffering McDonald Land, but that is neither here nor there. That's not the topic for this. No. McDonald Land is not the... Uh, <laughs> We've already done that. That's our Vice series, Leaving McDonald Land. <laughs> it's a it's a 14-episode podcast thing, and each episode begins with a two-minute recap and a two-minute next time on, and it's fucking almost <laughs> unlistenable, despite the content. Um, the... Uh, Take that uncovered. Um, the uh, so yeah, so romance and games. Like we were, mm-hmm. we were talking about this a little bit in the green room, and uh, it's a really interesting topic. But I think that there is a couple caveats we want to make up front. No, about it um, is that we're primarily going to be addressing the AAA space, right? With this, um, we know that there are indie games that handle this a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not stepping on any of that. Like there's a whole universe of like. You know, like Christine loves games and uh, other kind of like visual novel type things mm-hmm. and indie games that we're not criticizing with this. Right, right. Like we're talking about kind of bigger, more mainstream games and how they handle that and what we'd like to see and maybe what they kind of fuck up, what mm-hmm. we don't like. But we are not picking on, you know, uh, individual, you know, games that are more thoughtful about this. Um, we just want to acknowledge that they exist. Mm hmm. And, uh, but I think that the spirit of the question is more like, how do they fuck this up is not really talking about those. Right. Right. Um, additionally, you know, neither of us have experience with, or really a taste for like dating sim kind of things. Yes. So the, you know, the, the, that is that there are probably going to be elements that are common to that, that pop up in the AAA kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just understand that there is a lot of context there, there, you know, that, that is, that is a diverse genre that is not all just like weird pervy stuff, you know, like there are Otoma games and things like that. We just don't have insight on that. So it's possibly worth disclaiming there that, uh, you know, that, that, that is a whole medium that we're not going to, uh, uh, kind of broach or don't have the qualifications to to broach. Not only do we not have the qualifications, but I also don't feel like it's the spirit of the question too. Right. Yeah. Like, which is kind of the bigger thing. Like I don't, so I just don't, we're just trying to head off like, but what about this? Yeah. yeah. You know, us saying like these games don't really do this and people just saying like, well, actually, what have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's like the, don't use a, just use a kukri of like, (laughs) of criticism, you, you know, of criticism. And we don't, uh, 
no what about. It's like we're talking about broad trends, not making absolute sweeping statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a broad trend way, I agree that games suck <laughs> uh, at this. And uh, there are a couple of different uh, ways. And I think that, like one of the, the early ones to start with is uh, efforts to uh, break down something with infinite gradients uh, down into a mechanical like set of binaries. Yep. Looking at you, Harvest Moon. Looking at you, Harvest Moon, looking at you, Bioware. Like this whole section could just be like, hey, Bioware is absolute shit at this. <laughs> and I know a lot of people like people resonate with that and they uh-huh. treat it like a dating sim and stuff. But the transactional nature of romance in that mm-hmm. um, is a big reason why I they don't work for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting to look at specifically Dragon Age um, as kind of an arc because it did change over the course of that. Mm-hmm. Over the over the course of that series, like it went from it went from the really embarrassing gift system to kind of a more a more mass effect like you know just kind of interpreting it, spending time with them and following particular conversation lines more than mm-hmm. anything, just anything that reinforces the notion that romance is about uh putting in tokens and getting sex mm, nah, yeah. Like separating, making sex the ultimate reward yeah. of these Roman romance things seems very clearly problematic to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a thing. And when I say problematic, like I don't want to speak for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why we're being so disclaimer about this is because I know that some of these games, like with audiences, have really resonated, right? Like, yeah. hey, you know, I, I really love uh, Dragon Age Inquisition because this character really resonated with me and mm-hmm. I loved being able to have this romance with this character. I'm yeah. trying to take that away. I can only speak to like what worked for me or did not like mm-hmm. what, what I think yeah. about this. Yeah. And, and um, I think that that speaks to the positive thing about this and where this can be good is, you know, oftentimes in a game like this, the romance pathway is the best way to get more of a character that you like. Right. Yeah. You know, and when it is presented as a story, when it is kind of like when the arc of your romance with that character tracks with tracks with and has integrated with the, um, the, the, the broader arc of the game. Um, I think that is when it is, when it is done best or when it has res- resonated the most for me. Right. Yeah. Well, even then though, like I think about the Bioware approach to that. And then I think about something like torment where like you do have the way you get to the bottom of characters is by following their quest lines. Mm-hmm. It's just they none of them end in traditional romance. Right. Like even the romantic one ends in rejection of that. Yeah. Right. So like following a character's quest line is the way to get more of that character. And oftentimes in Bioware games, that is explicitly romance. Mm-hmm. Like it's very weird that in Bioware games, the way that I can interact with this character and get that depth is through falling in love with them and them falling in love with me. Mm-hmm. And that's the only like there's no hey, we're real good friends yeah, that yeah. you can have. Like sometimes you make good friends in that, but the way that you complete their quest line or whatever mm-hmm. for certain characters are like coded mm-hmm. as romanceable and that's what you can do with yeah. them. And that, you know? that, that, that somewhat tracks to real life, right? Because boundaries are different depending on, you know, like the, you're going to say something, you're going to, you're going to divulge different things to your longest, you know, deepest platonic friends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't mean to phrase that as weird as I did, but you know, to, but to your, you know, the person, your longest you know, friend, I got yeah, you. your, your longest friend, right. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're going to divulge 
different things. The boundaries are going to be different um, for them compared to if you are romantically entangled with somebody. Right. So it like makes sense that they would say different things, but like for the, for the friendship angle of that to be so shallow does feel disappointing. That, that's the thing, right? Like yeah. it does make sense that it'd be different, but it doesn't make sense for certain people to be coded as yeah. this person is romanceable. The way to quote unquote, like complete this person mm-hmm. in the game is only to make them my lover. Yeah. That's the only way they exist or is like a shallow companion who like provides a plus two healing buff to people <laughs> within three meters. Right. Yeah. And, you know, those are the two those are the two different ways. And it's yeah. very rarely, you know, is there like a third option? And it, that comes from modeling something with infinite depth, you know, to uh, uh, in terms of a computer, like in terms mm-hmm. of like breaking it down to numbers, like yeah. even later Bioware games where it's not about the gift system, which is you're really atrocious, is still about filling meters. Mm hmm. And, you know, to make it not Bioware, like the Fallout 4 companion romance system, right, is still about filling meters. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just not how relationships work. Like, it is a weird thing where, uh, in my experience, like, when you have, like, a romantic connection with somebody, it's something that happens quicker. It's not like you put in, you know, okay, you know, it can grow over time, but Mm -hmm. it starts at an area where, like, there's just a compatibility there. Yeah. And when you have a character, when you're playing a character who's a blank slate, uh, that campaign, that the one side of that compa- compatibility isn't set. Right. Like the game is you actively creating that mm-hmm. and seeing if it matches, like you kind of like post fill it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just, it feels weird. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Um, when, doesn't doesn't really work when talking about the way this falls down. Um, you know, I think something that is just universally, Universally, a problem with this is uh, when the game shows sex. <laughs> I, I think that yeah. that a never ages well. B, I, I always find it incredibly awkward. I understand if somebody doesn't, but like, uh, it just seems. I don't know. It just it just doesn't ring right. There's like different reasons in a piece of media you can show sex. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the reasons might be to uh, to actually have that kind of character development, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it's if it's a type of sex, yeah. like you're advancing a relationship, learning about the relationship based on the motions mm-hmm. that uh, that people have sex in. That's something I haven't seen happen mm-hmm. in games. Like, you know, I've had sex happen narratively, but not the way that it's shown. Right. So, like, you can have something like Baldur's Gate 2 where you eventually you can have sex with Viconia, uh, but then it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's awkward. And the next day it feels weird. Yeah, That's, like, character development, and that advances the story and advances character. Showing that, showing it be awkward, showing it in a way that actually shows something about the character of the mm-hmm. world is just something I've never seen done. Yeah. Um, you know, the other reason you can show sex scene in a piece of media is to titillate and arouse. To, to cut you off a slice of that cheesecake. Yeah. To give you a piece of cheesecake. And that part is like, one, it's just not why I play games. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, if that's why you play games, that's great. Uh, it's not how I play games. I can only speak to my experience. But two, um, it is it makes that transactional nature that came earlier grosser. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a reward, you know, uh, and the idea is to give you a boner for this for like pressing the right slots on a character, like pressing the right buttons on a character in the right order. Mm-hmm. Like there's just something that is too transactional about that. And having that as a reward that just feels like deeply problematic to me, mm-hmm. you know, um, when I've seen that every example has undercut any sense of catharsis that arrives at that, 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 that is, um, implied by those two people deciding to share that. 
right? Like, mm-hmm. just there, like there is no catharsis for it. Yeah, yeah. It do, it just doesn't. Yeah, it's never landed. Yeah, you know, uh, for me mm-hmm. in in that respect. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's why it's interesting when I think about romances and games that have worked for me. One of the the examples of what we're using here when I talk about Fallout 4 and we talk about Bioware games is they're all games where you create your own character. Mm-hmm. The times that romances have worked for me have been when they are bespoke characters. Yes. That just have a believable story. Like we heaped a lot of praise on the 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 romances, the non like fuck scenes mm-hmm. uh, in The Witcher Three. Yeah. And it's because I find that relationship really believable. Like it mm-hmm. makes sense. For those two characters to have that relationship to me yeah um i don't know what it would be like to play a game where i made my own character and i had that element of cypherhood mm-hmm. uh that comes with a bioware or a bethesda game yeah and had because and had a, a good relationship with somebody because then it, it almost has to be meters like the difference with if it's a story that's already been told you're walking in partway through the story mm-hmm. those meters have all been filled up in the past yeah you know whatever what, there's no meters like that just And if you don't like Witcher 3, like use any example of a bespoke Mm -hmm. romance, you know, in a game. But you have like Geralt and Yennefer. They're just compatible. They have this history. To me, the game did a good job of making you feel that history Mm -hmm. around them. And if they decide to to go at it, it's like, well, this is just characters that know each other really well and have been doing this for years. Kind of on again, off again. Whereas if I just make a character in a Bethesda or Bioware game, I feel like I'm being birthed into the world. Mm-hmm. like totally new yeah. and it's my job to go fill up all kinds of meters mm-hmm. like i'm not only filling up relationship meters i'm also filling up quest meters and equipment meters and level meters yeah. and stuff like it doesn't feel like there's a history there mm-hmm. and that is something no history it does feel like it's it's giving literally giving shorthand to to something that has history in real life mm-hmm. usually yeah when I've enjoyed this kind of stuff, it has been a subversion either of expectations. So I'm going to try try to minimize spoilers uh, for you, Gary, because this is a game that we're you know, intending to play. But um, in Mass Effect 2, there is a romanceable character who gives every outward opinion or gives every outward sign of being like the bad boy or girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And the way that that um, situation resolves is that it is like you're given a choice at the end like do we do we fuck or do we talk and like the successful version of that is to create an opportunity to share something greater than the physical connection and Mm -hmm. that i think is a good is is a good subversion um that they then turn around and then kind of never never did again so yeah (laughs) uh, they forgot about how to do it yeah yeah uh the other thing that i really enjoy uh saints row 4 uh which Mm -hmm. is a big mass effect parody by and large you're walking around on your ship and you know in mass effect when you're on the normandy or whatever you go up and you talk to people you can still do that in saints row 4 like there there are conversation things but there is always the option to say wanna fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's just like a short little scene that thankfully cuts away and then comes yeah. back. It's like, oh yeah, you can just do this whenever you want. Here you go, gamers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that if that's necessarily like a good example of it. It's just making fun of the same thing we don't like. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But it makes sense. It, it, I guess it like, is a subversion, and it is subverting in a direction. It is dismissive of the thing that I am dismissive of. Yeah, which is which is good because you know, yeah, it's more it's in line with what mm-hmm. what you think about that. Yeah. Uh, or you think about like um fucking uh, Renoa and Squall. Oh no. Yeah. Right. Like one of the first like explicit love stories we're fated to be together Mm. in a game that i played and like there's no sex but is the romance in that game good 
<laughs> I don't I don't know. Like I feel like if I went back to it, I don't feel like anything about it is quite good enough other than mechanics is good enough to make me believe that. Yeah. Like it's almost the opposite problem. It's not transactional because there's no they didn't try to model the mechanics of a relationship at all. It's just does the story and writing mm-hmm. hold up to it? Yeah. You know? So it just it's 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 one of the most complicated things you can involve yourself mm-hmm. in in real life. And that is why I think that so many people biff it. Like war is easy. No. Yeah. Like war is, you know, making uh people stop breathing. No. Yeah. And that's like comparatively very easy. But like being in a in a successful relationship is hard as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's just, you know, uh something that's easier to portray than to model. Mm-hmm. And then uh attempts to model it because it is so important and so elemental to the human experience inevitably feel shallow and off. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when, when I think about why I'm critical of it, there can be any, any, any number of personal failings that that is, that that could be reflective of. And I'll leave that up to people hearing this to decide if mm-hmm. that is the, if, if, if that is the case. But when I think about why I um would like to see this work better and why I'm critical of the idea is like there probably is value like like there is value to demonstrating romance in media right um mm-hmm. and for you know for a lot of folks you know you know like that models for you how that yeah. how you know like just be you know, for for good or for ill mostly for ill a lot of our relationships early on especially when we're new to this or inexperienced are modeled based on media based on examples that we see out there and when games continually fall short it feels like it is you know, in an incomplete example that sets people up for maybe a lot of pain. Additionally, there are needs that people have fulfilled by seeing this in by 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 seeing these things in media. How many times have people written in and said, "Oh, I didn't, you know, I I, I didn't realize, or I hadn't fully expressed." you know, this kind of non straight up the middle sexuality until a game gave me a space to play with that. Right. Yeah. You know, to consequence free, you know, just kind of see, try this on, you know, to like, you know, to put on this hat and see how it looks or people who are incredibly shy, who do not have, you know, the, who do not have it in them or have not had it in them in the past to go out and seek that and seek that connection. It is a way for them to experience it, you know, um, mm-hmm. parasocially, I don't know if that is the right, the right phrase, but you know, uh, uh, close, close enough. Right. So like when I mm-hmm. think about why I want this to be, to be better, it is for folks like that, because I understand it just based on talking with people that that is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if, you know, if people do get from it, those people who could stand to have it better and stand to be served better, if they get uh, a version of that, mm-hmm. like they, uh, you know, even just like, hey, I enjoy engaging with with this because uh, because any of those reasons uh, you listed, I'm not here to take that away. Yeah. Right. Like I can say why I think they biff it. But if other people it is perfect, that mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. You know, and also if it could be better for those people, but it's still good enough now, mm-hmm. I don't want to take it away from them. I hope that they. Uh, yeah. They yeah. Do it. I think, <laughs> it's, it's not me saying you, know, you don't get to eat this cake. It's not done yet. Put it in the yeah, oven exactly. more. You guys can eat the, you guys can eat the cake. It is. I just, I want, I I wish that there were options again, you know, the way that expense doesn't factor into how something would be better Uh is I would like it. If there was a way for me, if I am playing one of those games, I'm not interested in, in doing that in a Bioware game. There was a character who I could interface with and there would be multiple paths. Like they could be a friend or they could be romantic, Yeah, yeah. you know, and have them both have the same kind of depth. Like, 
you know, romancing games, like as a way to complete an NPC quest line is the default. Like there aren't that many, like they exist, mm -hmm. but I can think of fewer examples where it's like, this is just like a really great friendship. Yeah. You know, like, wow, what a good friendship this is. Yeah, no, I you know I, I, that, that was going to be my final point is like, yes, romance, romance is, is good and sublime, but there are any number of kinds of relationships. Like, I don't know. I want more filial love to be shown. Like, yeah, I want more connection between, you know, father and son between, you know, brother yeah. and sister, you know, to be yeah, explored, you know, just yeah. any, any number of. Any, Second cousin and aunt. <laughs> just just any any number of platonic relationships that can have depth and can be rewarding and reach their own catharsis that doesn't involve, you know, pur prurient models going at each other, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yep. I think that that Sonic is worth... Sonic the Hedgehog, the Avuncular Chronicles. <laughs> yeah. just like, just like how, how, does Sonic, how does Sonic treat his nephew, you know? Yeah. You yeah. The weird um, garden where he grows his nephews. <laughs> the Chow Garden? Are the yeah, Chow Sonic's nephews? I assume they look like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, they got nephew energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, because ro romantic relationships have primacy and, you know, sell, then there's, yeah. you know, just that, 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 that's, that is how we see it. That is how we see it manifest. Um, yeah. All, all going back to whenever the power of friendship is brought up in a piece of media, it is almost never earned. You've never, you have not shown me the benefit of friendship or articulated a friendship uh, more so than having more bodies to fight more people is a good thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They, they need to be friends more than just uh, scenes. It's one of those things where too, I think about something like, um, you know, good game uh, that I'm not ragging on here, but I'm just using an example. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, or, I mean, I was going to say Chrono Trigger, but any of the 16 bit final fantasies, right? Yeah. yeah. In my head, I think of the crew of Final Fantasy VI as good friends. Mm -hmm. But when I think about that, it's not necessarily their interactions I'm thinking about. And that's a, a limitation of the, the year it came out, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's a scene of them all hanging out with music that I find nostalgic. Yes. And that's chronocampfire.txt, right? I mean, I have um, that, I have that uh, shadow box right here on my desk. I'm looking at it right now. Which like, evokes <laughs> a feeling. Yeah. But wasn't. I don't think you could argue that the game is good at portraying friendships. Right. You know, like those are those are good high depth friendships. So just kind of in general, you know, kind of the the opposite of the violence episode. Like I while I agree, you know, I, I stand by my like there are too many violent games is a little bit of an annoying criticism to me mm -hmm. um, that's unfounded. I do think I would like to see more relationships that or more games that model different kinds of relationships or at least focus on them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. So, and uh, maybe, and just try it. But who's who's to say that once they start doing friendship relationships, they're not going to go through the same growing pains as they did with romantic ones. I mean, look like at it, look at a way out. Transactional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like a cigarette smoking type. <laughs> this could be a good cigarette for you. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, that's not a good two friends mm -hmm. uh, relationship game. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It is just, it is really, I mean, it all comes down to it being difficult to model uh, human relationships, which are very complicated with numbers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can mechanically try to do that. And it's, you're going to fall a little bit short most times and you can narratively do it and land it. If you're a good writer mm -hmm. and a lot of games writers, it's more about the plot and less about the character and they don't do it as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, thanks everybody. Uh, <laughs> so that's the end of the Q and a portion. If you want to send us a question, hit us up. Uh, you can do so by being a patron. If you go to mm -hmm. patreon.com slash duck feed TV. Yep. Um, we're going to read your responses now to this month's games. If you want to send in a response for next month's games, that is at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yeah. Uh, so I'll get us started here <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, with about creative games here. Uh, I believe this is pronounced. This person's name is pronounced Shindra. 
um, uh, writes NVA content. I apologize if I mangled that. Um, I want to thank you so much for mentioning Jetpack on your recent live episode from the, from the Midwest Gaming Classic. That game is a fond childhood memory for me. My family often spent part of the summer with a friend of my mom when I was little. She had three sons, and I would always end up playing Jetpack with them. Jetpack may in fact be the first video game I ever played but I never knew what it was called since I had not learned any English at that point. So now that you two have made me aware of this game again, I will certainly give it a go. I looked at some screenshots earlier and the visuals really took me back. Keep in mind, I have not seen the game since I was in my single digits. Yeah. A lot of, a couple of people mentioned that mm -hmm. actually on the Patreon, various other places. Yeah. You know, um, and I've still never heard of it. <laughs> I may have said something about like, hey, I'll look that up after the show, but I was lying for theater. Um, so, so, <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't, I actually still don't know this game, but yeah. I'm glad that other people resonate with it. Happy to be of service. Wow. Um, moving on uh, to responses about Batman Arkham City. Take says via contact. I love Arkham City. The game actually helped me reconnect a bit with my sister uh, when we were, estranged, we were estranged at the time. I think she was over at the house for an obligatory birthday dinner. I went, check out this game I'm playing. I just got it today. And we ended up playing through the game till the ending credits started rolling in the morning. We even hot-seated the controller a few times when I got stuck. I had a real hard time figuring out the flying sequences in Raj sequence. Uh, the Rajah Ghoul sequence. Uh, it was probably one of the best memories I had with my sister in uh, recent times. Love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. I don't know that yeah. I have anything else to add about that. <laughs> no, it's just like a nice little story. I always like that. Uh, yeah. That kind of response. So we got we got some feedback about uh, our pronunciation of Rajah Ghoul. Um, yeah. We, 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 so <laughs> we, we were uh, praised for getting it right, but over the course of the episode, we eventually started saying Rage Al Ghoul. Oh, Rage. <laughs> yeah. I think that's more of my mush mouth than, than <laughs> I think we all did it. I think both yeah. of us. I'm not going to put that on Doug. But anyway. Yeah. No, Doug, Doug, I'm sure, was immaculate yeah. about it. Um, real quick, again, shout out to Doug, not only for sponsoring the episode, but he sent a nice little gift. Uh, I, I just got that today, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's a very sweet little thoughtful mm -hmm. uh, memento. It's a tiny, for, oh, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't opened it. No, I've opened it. Oh, a tiny little Mr. Freeze. Yeah, love it. It's already yeah, up on my shelf. Very cute. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's see here. Justin says via contact, it sounds hyperbolic, but I can't imagine someone having a better experience with Batman Arkham City than I did. A friend gifted me his PS3 copy, so I had no emotional investments or expectations. I loaded it up one April evening, thinking I'd play for a few hours. Minutes after the real-life sun rose the next morning, I watched Batman emerge from the Monarch Theater, the Joker cradled in his arms. Without planning it, my night had synchronized with Batman's in the narrative. My mental fatigue was his physical fatigue. My 3 a.m. decision to finish the game before morning was Batman's mission to catch the Joker. We decided to ignore mobs of henchmen in the streets. Our brawls, when necessary, devolved into graceless exercises in efficiency. Side quests went abandoned or unanswered in our haste to save the city. This was no mere gaming session. I had stumbled into the conditions that turned Arkham City into a Batman simulator. It was serendipitous, organic, and sadly, impossible to reproduce. That's great. Yeah. One of the things I, I 
spent the entire time in the run up to that episode meaning to bring this up and i totally i think i forgot to mm-hmm. i might have mentioned it but i might have forgotten um that the idea of ignoring screams throughout the city mm-hmm. the um the political prisoners quest um there are thugs torturing guys mm-hmm. so the streets of gotham are just filled with screams and they're really well recorded and scary and agonized <laughs> screams yep. that since i was beelining i was ignoring and it was the least batman thing i've ever done in my life <laughs> um, batman would not let that like, stand making breakfast and like doing the dishes like I, I do dishes in a more batman way than batman was swinging through the city ignoring those people having their ribs broken again and again so the uh yeah it was uh you know the being on that beeline mm-hmm. i got it for sure yeah um yeah uh lauren says by contact Roughly a million years ago, I hosted a podcast of my own where my co-host and I played games at random from our Steam libraries. One episode, I got Arkham City to play. Now, I'd never played any of the Batman games, and this was several years after it came out, but I always heard great things about it. I have a strange relationship with Batman-related media in that I think Batman as the least interesting part of his own series. Uh, The characters I really appreciate are the villains, in particular, the Riddler, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn. All of them have so much more texture in the comics than Batman ever did, at least to me. Anyway, I boot up the game and start playing through, and it was rough going. The main elements of the games that I saw talked about were the traversal, the combat, and the richness of the characters you interacted with. I straight up do not understand how any of those elements are tow- that are touted as great are so good. The traversal felt tedious and boring to me, and I found myself having real problems with wanting to explore. The combat was fine, I guess, but by this point I had played roughly 10 other games that built on this foundation, especially Shadow of Mordor and Hand of Fate. Those games at least have something interesting going on to wrap the combat system around. So really, that just left the richness of the world, and I gotta say, it was also very bad. Everywhere I went, all I could hear were thugs talking about riding that Harley and making terribly misogynistic dialogue with each other. The general violence expressed towards women was shockingly bad. Additionally, all of the characters felt like sad attempts at being dark and edgy, like some kind of failed comic line of the 90s. My favorite characters came out of the game portrayed utterly terribly, and the experience was awful for the four hours I managed to play it. Listening to your responses to playing the game were surreal to me, like I'd accidentally played some negaverse coffee or something. I know I'm in the minority here, but I sure won't be revisiting the series anytime soon. No, um, definitely don't play any of the other games if that bugged you. Yeah, um, um, they are of a piece. Yes, and I think it only gets worse in uh, in in night, even though like, they. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 pretty rough. Yeah, um, and the the misogyny thing, I definitely am with you on. Like that's mm-hmm. something that we talked about a lot in the Slack, actually. Yeah, when uh, on the run up to the game of just kind of like, boy, this uses the B word a whole lot. Yeah, for, um, for no to no particular end. Nope. I mean, um, other than to say like, hey, these are bad guys to to say that but it is still you know unironically portraying that point of view to the point well, where <laughs> yeah and, and to just an excessive degree like yeah. the kind of nature of the game is you're just kind of bathed in that dialogue through yeah. the entire experience of playing mm-hmm. yeah. through the radio thing so you're just kind of constantly hearing a low-level patina of it mm-hmm. um you know they talk about other things as well but like that's definitely stood out to me as well yeah yeah um the other points you know I, like we, we did the episode and stuff i i don't necessarily agree like i i, mm-hmm. I think the combat's really fun and traversal is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are like really, you know, kind of dark and edgy versions of it. Mm-hmm. I also, to me, like I, I imagine the ideal version would be somewhere in the middle yeah. of that because like the the weird Silver Age, like kind of four color DC thing doesn't work for me. Yeah. I know that it works for some people, but those versions of those characters always come off as silly. Mm-hmm. I would probably, I would buy that this is an overcorrection, but I also would not necessarily have wanted them as portrayed yeah like but keeping in mind the last like batman i read was all about it was like the grant morrison run where it's like all about 
Mr. Pig like ripping off people's faces and shit. Like it was <laughs> pretty dark and edgy the last time I checked in on Batman. Like it's something I associate with the character. Yeah. Um, any character or kind of pantheon of characters that has been around for as long as these have, you're going to go through those different eras and you're going to arrive at this. And if it doesn't pull from the era that you prefer, it can really, you know, resonate like 10. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, definitely understand that. Like those things, you know, if the, if I also, if I had played shadow of war, if I had played other games that did this first, like mm -hmm. since I played uh, asylum first, this was my first experience with this combat. Yep. Uh, so it was pretty revelatory. It's like something I associate with Batman, not with, with any of the, the games that came afterwards. Right. So it was, it was new to me, mm -hmm. which did a lot. Um, we're going to do the hitman, uh, responses next because, uh, the life of strange responses are almost all spoilers. That's a story-based game. So we're going to do, do that at the end after we do the admin, just so mm -hmm. people don't get confused. going to start here with Holland who says via contact, I've been playing hitman in anticipation of WAF. It's fun and very clever at times, but I don't like the time investment required to pull off the clever stuff. Each level requires multiple playthroughs, which is fine, but the first couple of attempts are almost guaranteed failures because you have to canvas the level and figure out where all of the items and disguises are. Um, it, uh, it can be a significant time investment for very little payoff. A little more ease of use would have gone a long way with the title, I think. Uh, maybe a suggestion where an item might likely uh, might be likely to be found, so I'm not spending 20 minutes looking for a wrench. There's a lot of clever and fun gameplay, but the but it's gatekeeped by an amount of trial and error that some people, myself included, won't have the patience for. There's a there's been a, people were talking in the Slack about this too, and a couple of people had uh, this problem, and it's one of those things where like um, I understand this perspective, but I mm -hmm. don't agree with it. Like yeah. I don't, I have a very different experience um, with this. Yeah, um, for for me, that time investment and exploring to find where that stuff is is the game. Is the game like yeah. it's super fun to me. Um, and so I guess like the, uh, the game is so short, like, so having a couple run throughs, um, where they don't go according to plan, mm -hmm. um, which is a point I, I want to put a pin in that, but like, don't go according to plan, like is part of the, the loop, mm -hmm. you know, like you were, you were intended to like almost like a roguelike or something, like go through it a few times, which I, Holland says it would be fine, but, uh, that didn't bother me mm -hmm. as a thing because of the second point, which is, I guess, like there's a couple uh, things in here that are like terms that I like for me personally, like when I play the game, not saying in this response, but when I play the game, I have to interrogate what they mean. Right. right? And one of which is um, like payoff. Like what is the, you know, when you say you have this time investment for the very little payoff, mm -hmm. like what is a payoff? And then also what is a guaranteed failure? Yeah. And I think that this game, and this can just be how I play games, right? Like go to any of our Dishonored episodes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think this game resists going through and saying, I have to do this as perfect stealth the first time I do a game, yeah. uh, do a playthrough. And like, I understand people who can't play a game and not do the perfect non-lethal, you know, S rank thing and can't not go for that. Mm -hmm. I am just really happy that I don't, that I can, because yeah. it, that is the difference for me for this, because the, there's no such thing as a guaranteed failure. Mm -hmm. uh, in my experience of playing Hitman, like the, uh, if I decide to 
you know, I'm going for a certain thing and I quick save beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no problem with quick saving. Like some people would consider that to be a cheat as well. Yeah. Um, but I have no problem quick saving and trying again. And if I decide I'm just kind of freeballing it, yeah. you know, which I do the the first couple of runs through thing, anything goes. Like I let myself get caught. I run away. I go hide in a dumpster. Yeah. I go break into the kitchen, break someone's neck, put on their clothes and stuff them in the freezer barely in time to start chopping <laughs> vegetables right. as them, you know. Yeah. And that is the game. Like that's super fun mm-hmm. to me, as fun as the perfectly pulled off plan. Yep. So there's no like if there's not a fail state, like a lot of these things don't like don't resonate, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like the time investment and such. Yeah. The, 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 the I mean, again, that's just a matter of taste. This is a matter of preference. Those early attempts where, you know, both success and failure are barely held together chaos. That is mm-hmm. super entertaining to me. Yeah. You know, yep. it just it depends on how many like there's like a weird extrinsic versus intrinsic uh, value thing that happens almost only in stealth games mm-hmm. like this, this criticism, and it would not necessarily from Holland. Like I, I don't mean to paint Holland with a broad brush of like other arguments I've seen, you know, but I'm kind of responding to them all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, reminds me of dishonored stuff yeah. where people are like, you know, the dishonored play is, you know, if you're doing it, you know, never getting caught 100% non-lethal, it's this kind of game. And I understand like people just, well, what if you don't play it as that kind of game? Mm-hmm. And then to me, it just opens up. And it's so fucking wide and beautiful and like a really fun experience. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, and you know, I, I understand some people just can't do that, but if you, if you do it, like it, it does become a different thing. Yeah. You know, you know, and your relationship with your time and what you consider to be, you know, respectful of it and what is a waste of it. That is obviously going to be different from person to person. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so that's that's something that is completely valid. Yeah. It's just it's whatever the difference is, you know, when you look at somebody and they it feels like they had a totally different experience with a piece of media and you try to figure out like what are the differences in approach or differences in taste that account for that difference. Mm-hmm. Like that's the the difference in taste I think that accounts for that difference. Yeah. Uh for this. Um also I also found that mostly things were where I expected them to be. Like I had a lot of joy of being like, "Hey, I need a wrench done, tighten this thing. Let's go find a workroom." Yeah. You know, or a, or or a basement or something, and it would almost always find a wrench in a garage or a basement or somewhere where it made sense to be. So that was actually, again, a really fun part of this game. Yeah, to the, me. there was joy in kind of reading the architecture and reading the facility, and mm-hmm. having it, uh, you know, ha- ha- having that those guesses or those suppositions be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which was typically my response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, Samuel says by contact. I finished the Hitman 2016 campaign, and I probably don't have much to add besides effusive praise and a recommendation to definitely play the Hitman 2 campaign afterwards. Besides being one of my favorite games I've played recently, it's a fantastic game to watch other people play online. If you like Giant Bomb at all, they have tens of hours of this game in various forms for various reasons. My personal favorites are the Hitmas videos, where they turn Hitman into a party game, <laughs> and the two quick part uh, quick looks of the Marrakesh map, where Brad and Dan play terribly for two plus hours, and it ends with them knocking out General Zaydan and most of his guards, piling them up in the intercom room, then dropping a toilet full of explosives on, explosives <laughs> on them. Uh, also, playing a level of Hitman on the casual difficulty is the perfect balm after a couple of attempts at whatever Sekiro boss uh, you're currently stuck on. <laughs> so, yeah, it is uh, the relationship between this game and Sekiro in general was on my mind the entire time I played it Absolutely. because of proximity. Yeah, It's just, boy, like... It wasn't a mistake because it was an effective marketing term, but 
just in terms of laser targeting to Gary from made a, a mistake by saying Sekiro, the game where you play, you kill ingeniously. And then I just happened to play Hitman right afterwards. Yep. And I've never felt less ingenious killing in Sekiro where it's like the ingenious part is like, how about some firecrackers to get in 2% more damage? Uh, and Hitman where the ingenious genius part is, what if you pile up all their unconscious bodies in the intercom room and then drop a toilet full of explosives on them? Yep. You know, one of those is just going to have more appeal to me. Yeah. Like, not that I, I mean, I love Sekiro. Like, Sekiro's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. It's just not expressive. Yeah. And it, and I played it right before I played the most expressive <laughs> game where you kill that I've ever played. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't understand why you hate Sekiro so much, Gary. Like, you've got a I, show to just to talk about it, but you hate it so much. It's so weird, right? Yeah. Like, I just, I love, it's because I'm I'm personally trying to hurt people. Okay. I just no. want them to feel bad. And that's the uh, the goal. Is, that that connects, um, that connects a lot of dots for me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a it's a, it's a sadism thing. <laughs> um, as as and I have the power. So if I do, if I mean enough about it, I might get it canceled and then take something away from somebody. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I actually adore Sekiro. Like, there's a weird. I'm really happy playing it vicariously through you because you are in like the good zone right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the middle zone of this game is so fucking good. Yeah. Like the uh you know past the first set of boss walls before the end boss boss walls mm -hmm. there's this middle section that is just like exquisite and yeah. i am really glad that we're we're talking about it for the show now mm -hmm. and that that we're both playing through at the same time yes so good, good stuff <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Christian says, so this is a little bit different, but we don't really do responses on, on adaptation decay. Um, mm -hmm. adaptation decay is the premium show where we talk about the ways that games are adapted into other media. This month we did the Hitman movie. Uh, and this is a response about the Hitman about the Hitman movie. Uh, but Christian says, howdy. Uh, I just listened to your excellent Adaptation of K episode on Hitman, the 2007 version starring Timothy Oliphant, um, and I thought I could shed a bit of light on a detail you noted in the movie. The reference to using gas to facilitate a raid on a church was likely a reference to a real-world incident from 2002. Don't read too far into this Wikipedia entry unless you're prepared to be thoroughly horrified, but it discusses a 2002 <laughs> Moscow theater raid by Russian special forces in which gas was deployed against terrorists holding a crowd hostage. It went as badly as one would expect. In any case, I hope this sad bit of real world, real world news sheds some light on an otherwise bizarre detail in a mediocre film. The um, yeah, so this is uh, something a couple of people also brought up. Yeah. Uh, which I, I'm really happy they did because we were reacting to how ludicrous it sounds, but <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. So yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. Um, I, I did read about it afterwards and it is a bummer. Yeah. It, uh, it, it went as poorly as you could expect. Yeah. As, exactly. Yeah. As Christian said, sorry, I yeah. literally just read that. Yeah. No, it's, it's quite all right. Yeah. So, uh, it's good. It's good to know though, that that was actually a thing. Mm-hmm. So rough stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we're Before we do the Life of Strange responses, we're going to do our admin just because, again, they're spoiler. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks, everybody, for writing in either with questions or responses. We really do appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, if you have anything to say about next game, next month's games, which are Into the Breach, The Seventh Guest slash The Eleventh Hour, mm -hmm. uh, The Adventures of Lolo or Tetris, hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yes. Additionally. Um, if you have any thoughts about, um, let me see here. If you have any thoughts about, uh, July's games, wow. July mm -hmm. already, Gary, uh, yeah. <laughs> the deadline for those responses is July the 15th. And I believe Gary, um, uh, July is our last, uh, uh, is our theme last month. theme month, uh, dictated yep. by some of our patrons. Yeah. 
Yes. So we are we're gonna announce July's games now. Yeah. Um July is 3D platformer month. Yep. We so, have not done them very much. Mm-mm. No, but I'm excited about the ones that we are doing. Yes. Uh for this. So we are doing uh, and we don't have this exact order. So we'll figure it out. Um, but we are doing uh, Psychonauts. We are doing a Hat in Time. And we are doing uh, uh, Mirror's Edge. Yes. The and, original, the 2008 one, not the uh, reboot that is just called Mirror's Edge. Yes. Yeah, the original Mirror's Edge, the 3D parkour yeah. platform game, which I've never played. Um, I, I hope uh, buckle up because you're going to hear me talk about motion sickness a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is an act of violence upon Ross. Yep. No, no. Um, uh, again, yep. the aforementioned sadism. <laughs> yep. Turn turn on the uh, the Flargle Stomp as, uh, <laughs> as, as uh, we get into Wiggle World. Mm. <laughs> we're living in a wiggly world um yeah looking forward to that looking forward to playing ahead in time that's a game i've actually been curious about quite a bit because mm-hmm. i want to see you know the 3d nintendo 64 era 3d platformer is something that i haven't like touched with you know connected with it very much mm-hmm. but i wanted to see one made with like modern sensibilities yeah um so and those are we'll, we'll talk about those are patron requests um, i don't have the names exactly handy but the month and then also the games are and uh, we'll mention those as we get closer. Yeah. Um, but we do really appreciate that. Um, if you do decide, you know, you can no longer sponsor a month, but you can still produce a game mm-hmm. uh, for the show. And you do so by being a patron. Yes. So, um, yeah, moving on to uh, Life is Strange. Yeah. Uh, content here. Um, quick kind of a blanket uh, statement we want to make beforehand. Um, we got a little bit of, of feedback about our treatment uh, of the LGBTQ issues in this um we're not going to read all of that we're going to limit our responses to being about the game itself not about the commentary mm-hmm. but just know that we do you know we hear that we read it we do our best to internalize it and we appreciate the feedback yeah it's a it's a it's a value that we have and it is a value that we always want to keep an eye toward uh, getting better at yeah so uh moving on to responses about the game itself um Marina says via contact. So there's actually a whole thing about Warren being a total creep. It's not just the vibes. Check out this first post in the Steam thread. And there's a thread there of foreshadowing mm-hmm. um, of Warren being a monster. That is stuff that we missed. It is details that we were not attuned to. Yep. Again, because perspective um, and experience. And and some of it we just didn't notice. No. Like it's not even perspective and experience. I think this is more just, you know, some of them are like almost like Easter eggs, but they're no. looking at them in aggregate is really cool. Like um, I remember this shit. And like, by cool, it's like, oh yeah, no, that's that's there. <laughs> well, well, well developed. Yes. Like it's cool that they they went through. It's cool from a storytelling perspective that they went through the pains to foreshadow this so well. Not yes. cool. Like I am in favor right. of photography murder. <laughs> right. I, not not, like, not cool as in um, I think that Warren is actually cool. He is actually not good. cool like a skateboard. <laughs> right. Cool, cool like, like cool like you know Deadwood. Yeah. Like like tell them something pretty is cool. Not like yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. No. yeah uh but yeah this is all good stuff to know it's a it's mm-hmm. a very detail rich game and it's easy to miss those details absolutely yeah you know or difficult but we happen to regardless yes you know maybe it's not easy to miss them maybe we just miss them yeah but yeah um samuel writes via contact the time travel element in life is strange really provided a much needed twist to the choose a b or c before timer before the timer runs out genre of video games that was the style at the time but speaking of the style at the time a real onion tied to this game's belt was the expression (laughs) the um, let's make it that's really good as a general like as a general thing like the onion on the belt is the the you know the signpost of something being outdated that's Uh super good it's very good. Uh, but the real onion on this game's belt was the way characters kept saying social media instead of Twitter, 
Insta or a fictional app. Uh, this attempt to make the game seem modern but timeless just made several scenes sound like dare videos whenever a CGI fake teen said something like, don't post that on social media or I'll check my social media. This seems especially egregious since they could have just used the term online if they didn't want to use a specific app, you know, like everyone else does. I still hear people say, don't post that online. I'll find him online or give me five bees for a quarter online uh, in the wild to this day. Now, uh, now, where were we? Oh, yeah. The most important thing about Life is Strange is that I had an onion tied to my belt. That's a good response. Yeah. It's well-crafted. Uh, the, uh, it's cool and in a skateboard way. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and it's, you know, relatively minor compared to the bigger issues that the game addresses. Uh, but, you know, it's that verisimilitude is important. And when the dialogue is already on extremely shaky ground, mm -hmm. uh, that particular detail can fucking great. Yeah, it's it's something weirdly that I, I didn't notice, but I just kind of thought of it as a period yeah. piece thing. But in, in retrospect, now that you say it, I see it. No. Yeah. Like, yeah, I absolutely see it. FedEx arrow. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is definitely weird. I'm glad they didn't go like, say like Twitter or what have you. Yeah. Though either, because then who, who knows, right? Like then mm -hmm. that might've been way worse. Yep. As uh, as it's just like, you know, we no longer use Twitter. We don't now don't use, post that on MySpace. Don't put that on Mastodon. <laughs> you know, Hey, don't mass, don't Mastodon that. <laughs> the, uh, it's still all, one of my all time favorite tweet where it's like, I know more people have seen an F UFO than are on Mastodon. Like, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, if you want more thoughts on this, go to my LO profile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Join, join my tribe, <laughs> become my friendster and you can, you can read my, my note. Um, yeah. God, the fucking just corporates, corporate I, vassals. <laughs> I don't want a tangent cause this is already a long episode. I'm sure I mentioned this, but I told you I met my wife on friendster, right? No. Isn't that crazy? It's a weird like thing that a sentence that doesn't make any sense in the, the future. <laughs> yeah, my ex-wife, I guess, like then wife. Yeah, my 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 then girlfriend, then wife, then fiance, <laughs> then wife, now ex-wife. Yeah, I, uh, I think, I think, think like wives wives are like marines. You know, the yeah. marines are presidents. <laughs> Semper Fi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, my wife is like a marine. Um, Riley says by contact. Uh, in the episode, you question why somebody would refuse to help Chloe in her assisted suicide in the alternate timeline. Morally and rationally, I understood the argument that Chloe was making, and I agreed with it. She was going to die in a few months anyway. I could see how much pain she was in, all of that. But similar to the pro uh, protestations Max herself can give with the I don't know option, I just didn't have it in me to press the button. This is something that often happens in fiction in real life, but it's one of the only times it's happened to me as a player where I can agree something is the right thing to do, but emotionally lack the fortitude to follow through with it. Video games usually give a comfortable distance to actually having to carry out the specifics of our choices, but for whatever reason, I couldn't press that button here, even believing that I should. That I cared for the characters so deeply, and this affected me uh, how it did, speaks towards the quality of the game. I did save the town in the end. Maybe I'd finally found peace with Chloe wanting me to let her go, but I also couldn't let all those other characters I'd grown to care for die. Finally, in terms of Chloe as ground zero for spreading slang, after playing the game, my friends and I, college students at the time of release, all picked up regular use of the word hella that we continue to this day. She spread it to the real world, too. Oh, no. Black it's Mirror. <laughs> Black Mirror. <laughs> Black <laughs> Black Mirror. Oh, man. The viruses jumped from birds to humans. We're fucked. Yeah. If you if you die in the hello real world, I don't know. Yeah. Um, hella dead. Yeah. 
Hella dead. You end up hella dead in real life. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until uh, people re- responded to the episode that I realized the complete mismatch between me being like, fuck yeah, I will euthanize Chloe, and then also choosing the ending where I sacrifice the entire town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It just, uh, you know, I think that, you know, we get a couple of responses about that ending thing. And I just mm-hmm. don't know that the game, for my experience, mm-hmm. did such a great job of selling it just being the town was going to die. Yeah. You know, and we talked about that a lot in the episode, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, that's just kind of how I felt about it. Like, yeah. you know, in the experience. And that's, you know, uh, that's just where where I landed on it. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do about it. You know, it's just like how, how I ended up feeling about it at the end. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, uh, this one's but me, the, right? the, uh, oh, good. What's also, I mean, so the reason why you would feel good about one of those and not the other is it's an anonymous versus individual yeah. style thing. Like you're not making decisions like a robot. You're making decisions about a person you're seeing in pain and the abstract. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing what, what people do all the time. Yeah. Right. Like, you, you know, it, it's, I think it makes perfect sense to treat those choices as differently because that's not the trolley problem. Yeah. You know, it's not like you sitting down and just looking at abstract stick figures, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So. Yep. Um, Vincent says via contact, I'm hesitant to call life a strange good. Goodish, maybe? The writing is just so awkward, which is a damn thing to say about a narrative game. Many have remarked that it feels like men writing dialogue for young girls. It's slightly worse than that. It's Frenchmen writing dialogue for young girls from the Pacific Northwest. Northwest. Uh, there's a cultural ignorance which permeates almost every use of slang in the game. Hella cash. Movie booty? Ugh. I forgot about movie. Yeah, booty. movie booty is unforgivable. Yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> um, it's plain to see that Don't Nod wanted to evoke the feeling of a place and time, but without proper context, the end result is distracting at best and embarrassing at worst, which makes Ashley Birch's performance all the more remarkable. That she can connect with dialogue so inelegant speaks volumes about her chops. Sadly, the same cannot be said for poor Max. Her, disaffe- her disaffection makes her feel like emo Daria. However, Daria worked because her flatness complemented her wit. I have a bunch of issues with Life is Strange's plot, too, but I'll focus on the one that truly stuck in my craw. The first time Max Butterfly affects a photograph. Much like Ashton in that stupid movie, she creates an alternate timeline where she's a member of the Vortex Club. When I finished episode three, I figured we'd spend the bulk of the next episode in this timeline interacting closely with Victoria and Nathan, pretending to be their friend and trying not to tip them off to Max's allegiances. I knew she would return to original timeline at some point, but only after learning whatever she needed to learn. I was on board with this idea, mainly because it would have amounted, uh, it would have allowed the writers to develop Nate and Victoria as characters. But alas, the entire plot point amounts to what feels like an attempt to introduce a new power, just so it doesn't feel contrived when Max uh, uses that power in episode five. Uh, it makes the whole scene feel inconsequential, though, considering the ending, I suppose that's life is strange dot text. And speaking of that ending, yeah, it's a urine soaked hella hole. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> players are forced to choose between saving the town or Chloe, and I can't figure out why she couldn't do both. If using her powers caused the tornado, then just return to that moment in the school uh, in the school bathroom and stop Chloe at the door. I'm pretty sure her rage on for Nathan would go soft uh, the second that she saw Max. It's writing like this, which made me lose tons of goodwill toward the game. I don't regret my time with it. I have a soft spot for the drama of the tone and the soundtrack, uh, but I can't recommend it without a bunch of caveats and qualifiers. 
this is this uh, reminds me a little bit of um, the same thing we were talking about the romance section, mm-hmm. where like games by their nature have to be kind of quantified in yeah. discrete units. So like having the ability to shunt back through time, mm-hmm. when even when she first gets it, you could almost go back to when you know like there are times when you can rewind time a really long time, mm-hmm. uh, and when she first gets it, rather than jumping out and stopping the shooting she could stop her from going into the bathroom like you mentioned like you yeah. if if it were real life it was a perfect sim in real life she could do a lot more the powers do form to can you know contrive to hit the dramatic beats yes the, 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 the story they wanted to tell was that chloe is fated to die yeah so you can i can see that being frustrating because yeah. it does break its own rules mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit and i i don't know that the the photograph thing was just there to establish you know, that last bit, but I think it is there to, uh, do that. And then also establish that, that gut punch, like the idea of this being episodic meant every episode need to end with some kind of like, and that, that wheelchair reveal is a big one, right? Like that's a, that's a big, like, you know, Oh shit Mm -hmm. moment. Um, you know, they had to get that across. Yeah. If they weren't already in the throes of like, okay, this thing, you know, needs to speed to its conclusion, like, okay, we're in the last two episodes and the next to last episode of any given like television series is always the most action packed, right? Yeah. Um, If they weren't already there, I would totally be down with like, how do I pretend like I belong here? That seems like a really cool idea. And I can see feeling disappointed that there is no payoff for that especially if you waited that month or waited that time in between and thought that's what you were going to be getting in the next one like all of a sudden i even more don't belong well and that would have been neat too like i think that during the episode like i recall having some issues with like oh so now i'm a preppy like how did that happen from this guy this person's dad not dying right you know that is the mechanics of that are a little goofy and it just you know you you said it cold like in the episode like time travel stories have to be about emotional truth not mechanical truth mm-hmm. you just kind of have to unfocus your eyes and go along with the ride yeah with some of that stuff which i was able to do but i don't fault anybody who's not able to do it yeah you know yeah um moving on autumn uh says talking about the ending choice as well um saving arcadia bay is the right choice it's the utilitarian moral choice it's the resolution all the quote unquote trying to fix everything with time travel just makes it more complicated and worse plot points it's the more fleshed out ending by far i've even seen people like errant signal argue that saving chloe shouldn't be presented as an option at all but being queer is an act of transgression being gay or trans publicly and without compromise uh, means burning a few bridges and disappointing your parents, laying down your family uh, that wanted you to have kids, fighting the people who see you as a son and can't imagine that you would be a daughter. And my position has always been get rid of these people, find your own family, be with the people who love you for who you are and build something better without the dead weight. If destroying Arcadia Bay is the price for getting to be happy with your girlfriend, then sorry guys, but Arcadia Bay has got to go and fuck this town for making you make that choice in the first place. Well stated. Yeah, absolutely. Well stated. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that, that resonating, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in a way like it didn't, didn't hit us because we didn't come from that background, but I totally get that Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, William writes, I wanted to real quickly mention, uh, something about the ending. 
Uh, I thought it was really interesting that you both chose to keep Chloe alive uh, and seemed to think that it was the more narratively satisfying choice. So I wonder if this color, uh, I wonder if this colored your impressions of the ending a bit. But my understanding is that the frustration at the barrier gaze trope uh, comes because a lot of people see Saving the Town as the ending intended by the creators to be canonical, especially at the time the game was released, since that ending seems to be uh, fleshed out a bit more. Also, I think the sense of doom at the end is supposed to imply that many people are going to die in the storm, even if that's unrealistic. So while you can choose to run off with Chloe, Danielle Rando of Waypoint has talked uh, talked about how that's her canonical ending, and she took the storm to be symbolic of a new beginning. A lot of people see it as the developers telling people that they can have the nice queer ending they hope for if they, the player, take on the burden of choosing the bad ending for the game slash all of the other characters uh, that we've met. Uh, so there's a bit of additional stress tax there, uh, for someone who was really hoping to see these young people be happy that I think is different than if that were just the default ending for the game. Anyway, I think as we're saying that despite some controversy, this game is extremely popular with queer folks and is generally well loved. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Like it, it didn't, you know, regardless of why right, wrong or whatever, when we got to the ending, it didn't feel you know, and again, it's just our perspective. Like I can't, I don't have a, I didn't, wasn't a different person when I played the game. Like I no. was, I was me and the me that played the game got to the end and didn't feel like that was the default right choice, Yeah. you know, and whether that was things that the game did or just my experience or my blood sugar levels when I played the game that morning or whether I'd had my coffee yet or mm -hmm. any number of factors that caused that it didn't, it just didn't feel that way to me. Yeah. When I played it, you know, I recognize that. Like, I think that's a, a valuable perspective. I'm glad uh, that you shared it. I'm interested in it. It just wasn't where I was when I when I did the final choice. Yeah. You know, um, and I've and it's interesting. I think it says something about this game that like I I have read both. Right. Like I've you know, I've I've seen Danielle talk about that mm -hmm. before and 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 or heard about that and and saw those thoughts and then also you know, read a lot of discussion about this mm -hmm. and found a wide variety of like perspectives on it, you yeah. on the, the stuff. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it didn't, it just didn't come off that way. And part of that's a limited perspective. That's part of privilege. And mm -hmm. that was the, that was the me I had to play through the game, yeah. you know, blind spots and all. Yeah, absolutely. Blind spots are, are a thing. And I, you know, uh, I'm never going to say that way. You know, I don't have those, Yeah. you know? Yep. So, but I definitely understand that. Um, finally, uh, Zach says via contact. Uh, Coming to life is strange as a queer person. I never really understood the uproar about the ending. The argument that sacrificing Chloe is the intended canon ending seemed to hinge on the fact that the longer of the two, but for me, saving Chloe is the only choice that makes any thematic sense. Throughout the story, Max uses her time travel powers in much the same way that I, or any teen, presumably would, as a way to navigate social situations flawlessly so as to avoid the embarrassment and pain that comes with being a teenager. In this light, her overall story is about learning that there's no way to truly live life without learning to accept the emotional pain of growing up. Once the queer subtext began to become clearer to me, I took the tornado as a physical manifestation of the pain and discomfort that she was avoiding in life, and most especially, the fear of what would happen if she came out. As a young queer person, coming out can be terrifying. It can feel like it will destroy everything you know. In my mind, choosing the Save Arcadia Bay amounts to Max choosing not to learn from her experiences, turn, and run back to the life she knew. For me, the image of Max and Chloe staying together, facing the tornado, is the most important point in the game, and I can't imagine any other ending working on a thematic or emotional level. 
Yeah. Um, like, you know, again, I, I didn't come to it with the same experience, but that was closer to how I felt Same about about the game. But yeah. we're not here to tell anybody how they felt about it was the wrong way yeah. or that our way was the right way. It's mm-hmm. just the it was the way that we had. Yeah. And you know? it's a perk of the job that people can come to us and feel comfortable sharing um, these yeah, details absolutely. and these perspectives. Um, yeah. I enjoy it. And I thank people, you know, for. You know, if they did have to exercise some patience with our kind of limited perspective in the in the episode, thank you for being patient with us and giving us the benefit of the doubt. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so thanks everybody. Um, we have already done the the admin mm-hmm. thing, so just you know the things to do. Yeah. Uh, Patreon ratings, reviews. We really do appreciate it, and mm-hmm. we appreciate your support. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, and until uh, until next time. Good night. Good night.